All right. Yeah. Let's, let's try opening it live. You know, go, go ahead, go for it. You're listening to Sovereign Tech, the best goddamn tech show on the planet. You know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But uh, I'm not I'm not exactly feeling it. What? what? I, uh, all right. Oh, no, come on, look, man. I'll just, I worked hard on I'll, that. I'll open it up with a rocker. Trust me, you'll love it. single Saturday, every single week. It is the Red Stallion, the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Sabzu, the Rated R Radio Star, here for a little fun. And boy, <laughs> I am not alone. I am joined by, well, <clears throat> um, I don't know if I want to say that, but let's make this clear, okay? I'm joined by the lovely and hyper-intelligent what? Dr. Stephanie Murphy. <laughs> I'm just saying, you were singing that song to me this morning. I was. We started and off the morning first thing yeah. with me singing Slip to the Big One Ooh, to you. Down the steps. <laughs> I'm not going to say why. I'm not going to say you know, I, I won't even get into that. But woo. <laughs> It's because we have fun in our household. Things are taking it? place. That's a fact. And Brian, <laughs> you never have to be alone when you got me. Oh, never alone. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> woo. Um, 
Wow, we got a great episode to get into. And Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Of course, I'm I mean, excited. Yeah, I mean, we do, you know, we do a show every week together. We do Sex and Science Hour. Uh, That's right. We do Sex and Science Hour every week. And usually when you're recording Sovereign Tech, I'm not on the show, but I'm sitting there listening to it and being the peanut gallery. So yeah, and sometimes always... you'll hear me chuckle or giggle or or make a disgusted noise or something. Or... <laughs> usually a good chuckle. <laughs> So, <laughs> or but, uh, a sneeze if you're really unlucky that day. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and great. You know, I've been really enjoying season three of Sex and Science Hour. By the way, I mean, Me it, granted, I'm the one you know half performing it, but really, I listen back and I go, God damn it, that's entertaining. Right. Uh, when you can listen back to your own podcast and say, Man, that's good, then you know you've you've reached the heights of podcasting. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so why don't we get into? Let's start getting because I've got a lot of interesting stories that I want to cover here. Um, so why don't we get into what I call the foreplay now? It was actually uh, a name given by a listener. That... I mean, you got to do that before you slipper the big one. I mean, really? Now we're talking. So let's uh, let's get into that. So I, I figured I'd start the show off with something. Now, I'm not going to start to show off. I mean, I, I'm showing off every week. But <laughs> I figure I'd, uh, I'd start the show off with a very interesting website that I think is is really, really helpful. Um, I, I like to, you know, give out some solutions, actionable things, because everybody always seems ironically to. Uh, all right. So so here's here is a genuine irony. So many people complain about people complaining and not giving solutions, but then. The people complaining don't really have any solutions for how to get the people that complain without solutions to solve that. Do you, yeah, do you get what I'm saying? A little confusing, but I understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, whatever. I'm not one of those guys. I I have answers, okay, for the things that, that I bring up. Uh, you know, whatever that answer happens to be. You may not like it, uh, but I do have it. But anyway, here's a great answer. Here's a great solution uh, as far as if you want to, especially, you know, it's interesting. Sovereign Tech is a show. I know a lot of people that say this is the only tech show that they listen to. Um, and... You know, I'm not 100% sure why that is, but I mean, I get people that probably have no it's interest the only in tech. Good one. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you. Uh, but I, you know, I have a lot of people that, that get involved that, again, they, they really, I don't think they're interested in tech much. Um, and so, may, or maybe they don't have enough history or they haven't gotten a whole lot of education, uh, you know, in the whole matter, uh, you know, of, of how tech stands today, you know, and the importance of encryption and things like this. So, the, well, your, your show is not. I, I guess I'm preaching to the choir here, but your show is not just tech. You bring in like other issues, social issues and human interest stuff besides oh, yes. just the tech. So I could see why it would appeal to somebody who wouldn't listen to your average tech podcast that's like dry and boring and non-political. Sure. I think that's fair. So but anyway, if somebody wants to get started on how to set all the, you know, how to get like a lot of the things we talk about on Sovereign Tech, PGP encryption, uh, you, you know, just just tons of different things. And maybe even know what a lot of these crazy acronyms, you know, actually mean. Um, I found a website this week that I thought that was really great, uh, and it's from the EFF, and which you know the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which I don't donate to them anymore. I I donated to them for years and years and years, and then frankly, when the whole net neutrality thing came down, yeah, they got so right. fucking political, and they were so wrong about pushing for it. I mean, they were dead fucking wrong. I don't care if you if you believe <laughs> that 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 you know regulations and all this stuff is valid. They were just completely off base. Um, and so I don't support them anymore 
again, because a lot of the money seemed to have been going towards lobbying and political action and all this stuff, but sometimes they still get something right. And this is one of those cases. And the website is ssd.eff.org. And the link is in the show notes for episode 207. Um, and the SSD doesn't stand for a hard drive. It stands for surveillance self-defense. Oh, cool. Which is great. And you can go there no matter what kind of device you're using, what OS, pretty much what OS you're running. Um, there's there's like three sections to it. One of them is overviews, which that covers. Uh, well, let's see. starts off right here. An introduction to threat modeling. Uh, and then, I mean, there's like full animated overviews. It's really, uh, really great. Uh, creating strong passwords, choosing tools. Uh, then there's tutorials that break down into how to use OTR, of course, which is off the record, a very popular, uh, you know, extension for a lot of different chat apps. How to use PGP, how to use Signal, how to use Tor, how to use whatsapp i don't recommend using whatsapp because i think that ends up into uh facebook's honeypot but it's there and, and rightfully so because around the world it's very popular um and then there is entire briefings which look like they might get updated regularly and they talk about a lot of various issues frankly that we've been talking about on sovereign tech for years including there's one great one here that i recommend reading which is the problem with mobile phones and it goes into many many things that i have brought up that not a lot of people care to uh, care to bring up um so i love this website i think it's a very very handy tool you know if people are looking for how do i get introduced to all this stuff or how do i implement it into my life i mean this does just such a phenomenal job uh, through various forms of multimedia right through this website. So again, the website, website is ssd.eff.org surveillance, self-defense. I love it. Uh, so that, and I'm, I'm probably going to keep that in the, there's an appendix for the show notes for every single episode. Hmm. And in that appendix, I have, well, I have links to, of course, the show sponsors. Um, but I have links to tools, websites that I think are like eternally useful. Uh, for example, there's a link to what I consider like the only great computer on planet earth. And that being the Liberboot uh, X 200 or the Liberboot uh, T 400, either one of those. Uh, and I mean, and there's, there's other things there too, that I just generally leave there, uh, you know, as, as I see fit. So, this is one that's probably going to stick there for a little while. Again, good on the EFF. Speaking of sticking, I was going to say Please. the other thing that the EFF got right was they made those little privacy stickers that you can put over your built-in webcam on your laptop. I'm still going through those. I, I know. Got from I my still membership. use mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was before they came out with the net neutrality stuff. Yeah. We bought a bunch of those stickers, right? Didn't well, we? I got them through my, like, because I've been a member. Yeah, yeah. They, they just send you those stickers. I've got tons of them. But uh, maybe I'm actually, I'm, I'm almost out. But I love those, you know, and and they were handing those out before it was like commonplace or cool to cover your webcam. Yeah, that's I think only it was recently. even maybe before the Snowden revelations, maybe just before, but you, I'm not sure. Don't you might be right. That. Yeah. Yeah. Either just before or around the same time. So anyway, uh, yeah, great website. You know, kudos to, to EFF for finally doing something that's not fucking political and that can, and people can actually do something about, you know, like writing into your congressman. Oh, yeah, that's going to solve things. No, using OTR is going to solve things. Wink, using wink. signal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Use that hand to jerk off instead. Uh, right. I mean, and talk about instant gratification. I mean, instantly your shit's encrypted. Holy fuck. Why wouldn't I do that? Uh, so great website, great resource. Share it around. You can let people know that Sovereign Tech, you know, pointed you in that direction. Uh, but uh, but there it is. And like I said, I'll probably leave it in the show notes for a while. Um, next bit of a uh, little little foreplay here. We got a, one of them is going to actually I can't wait to talk to you about it, Stephanie, because, of course, you're one of the original hosts of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Yeah. And we got a little bit of Bitcoin here in the foreplay uh, so we'll get into that in a second but before we do um i i gotta you know i i recently made a prediction not not like a hard prediction some of them i make 
and you know, that they end up coming true. A lot of things with Amazon, some stuff with Samsung, yada, yada. Um, but one that I made recently where I, you know, it, it turned out things are, are kind of turning around is with the smartwatch. I was figuring, look, smartwatch is pretty much fucking dead. Apple's not selling them very well. Google seems to have all but forgotten about them. And then like a week after I say that suddenly then Google's buying out all these smartwatch companies and they're saying, oh yeah, no, we're going to release our, our smartwatches, uh, you know, first quarter 2017. And then at CES this past week, which I, I'm going to probably do a complete review of CES and everything announced there. Cause there were some good things actually. Uh, I'll be doing that probably for a Patreon episode. Uh, so we got some new patrons this week. Thank you so much uh, for signing up. And of course you just go to sovereigntech.com and for at least a dollar a month, though I got my, my yearly statistics and over 52% of my patrons donate over $3. So oh, cool. that's great. And that actually puts me in a very high percentile on Patreon performers. So I'm honored by that. Thank you. That wow. total thanks goes to, to the Sovereign Tech listeners uh, and the patrons particularly on that. Um, so anyway, at CES, a lot of people were announcing smartwatches. One in particular that came out that I thought was interesting, and I don't know what the hell took so long, uh, but maybe they were just waiting for Android Wear 2.0, which is going to be released. You know, there's a developer edition out there right now, but it's going to be released in, in 2017. Uh, is the Casio, it's the 810G smartwatch, or the WSD F20. There's, there's a whole, whole slew of digits after the matter <laughs> but this is a rugged smartwatch of course from casio they're known for their g-force i wear casios all the time not smartwatches uh but you know it, the thing here is that the big deal with android wear 2.0 and i want to ask you about this stephanie actually you know what what your thoughts are on it but the big thing with android wear 2.0 is that it was point it was pushing the smartwatch category in the direction that i want it to be i want it to be kind of the uh, how to put this i I want it to be sort of the, the telephone, the telephone to the smartphone's television, meaning that you have concurrent technologies that can exist that can sort of serve a, a similar function. I guess I shouldn't say telephone. I want it to be the radio. You know, I want the smartwatch to be the radio uh, yeah. to the smartphone's television, right? I mean, obviously the television could do a whole lot more, but really the radio, you could still watch, you know, you could still hear a baseball game. Uh, and, and so I want that concurrent technology where it's full featured, it has GPS, it has the ability to call, it can accept its own SIM card, all this different stuff. That's what I want a smartwatch to be. It doesn't have to replace the smartphone. I just want it to be an option. I want it to exist. Uh, and so it was, it was encouraging for me that there were a lot of watches announced um, at CES that, that are going to try and go in that direction because Android Wear 2.0 was all about making the smartwatches independent from the smartphone. Uh, more so like the, this, this Casio 810 G is going to have, uh, it has GPS built in. As far as I know, it doesn't have the SIM card, which kind of makes it moot, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit better in that it can operate without being tethered to a smartphone because who the fuck wants an accessory to the smartphone? That's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. But if it's, if it's kind of the same idea, just a different category, I think people would be interested in that. So I, you know, I, I kind of, I want to ask you about this, Stephanie. I mean, how do you feel? What would you prefer? Would you would you want a a smartwatch or a smartphone? Like like if you had one device to communicate with, which one would you want? Boy, I'm just thinking it's really hard for me to imagine what a smartwatch could do because I've never really Ah, okay. I've never had any experience with a smartwatch. Mm -hmm. Last time I wore a watch was when I was in like 4th grade. Ah, all right. <laughs> yeah, see so, you know, but well that raises a great point though. Because 
I, on the other hand, like I can't remember when I haven't worn a watch. Yeah, you're like I even have watches. baby pictures of me, and I possibly I can't possibly know what's on that watch, but I'm wearing one. You know, I guess <laughs> my dad just thought shit. Put a watch on that boy, get him used to it. <laughs> but uh, you know, that, I'm that. That's an interesting thing. Is that is that maybe because you know you you never really wore watches that that it's just like not even a thought. Yeah, I mean, like I know smartwatches are getting really smart and really cool, and there's a lot of cool things you can do with them. Mm-hmm. I especially like the idea of using it as sort of like a a, t- a second factor or authentication token. Yep, we've seen it's people like do that. Literally yeah. strapped to you, it's way harder to lose than your phone. Well, I don't know if it's way harder to lose, but it seems like it would be. Yeah, because <laughs> it's literally strapped onto your wrist. Right. But I think for me, one of the hurdles would be that I can't see that well. I actually wear glasses, but I don't usually wear them because mm-hmm. uh, my problems are mostly with distance vision. And so I only kind of wear them while I'm driving. But most of the time, even up close, I can't really see super well. So I like having a huge phone that's more like a phablet size right. so that I can see the screen like decently big. So and I think that problem is only going to get worse as I get older and my eyes get worse. No, that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm not sure if a watch would just be too small for me. And I don't I don't know if I could get a watch big enough so that I would still be willing to wear it. It would be comfortable to wear, but that I could also see the face very clearly. Yeah, you know, and that's something else, too, is that, I mean... And I don't think I'm alone on that, because there's lots of people, everybody over the age of 45 pretty much is farsighted, so... Yeah, yeah, you raised raised some really good points on this. I mean, it's something that exists within the world culture as we have today, is, you know, you have a a woman's watch and a man's watch, and a woman's watch is significantly smaller. Like, I I mean, that's just... Yeah, because your wrist is supposed to be smaller. It's supposed to be dainty. Yeah, it's, it's like, effectively a, a cultural norm and fashion statement now that that it's supposed to be smaller and that's an interesting thing because how are you i mean you know one of the arguments i make for a smartwatch is that and and companies have already come out with these microsoft in particular has come out with a uh, a keyboard that works really really well on a smartwatch but you know let let's be honest i mean if if it has to be if you're to fit in with the societal norms not that i recommend anybody ever do that fuck it um you know if, if you're a woman and you have a smaller wrist or, or, you know, even if you're a guy and you want to wear a smaller one, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. How are you going to type on that? You can't like, right. You know, if it's that small, that that's problematic. So I think you're, unless it project, unless it does a thing where it projects onto your arm, you know, there's so some bracelets you can wear that will like literally make your arm into like a, uh, Oh, what's it called? Like like a a projector. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it projects it onto your skin. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely some next level shit. I could see that, you know, kind of coming down the line. Uh, but I mean, I even remember when I was in the military, I mean, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, even women there would wear significantly smaller watches, uh, you know, when frankly, a lot of them had or some of them had had wrists that that could match, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, that I was in with. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, that's see. So there, there are some genuine issues as to where the smartphone, you could carry around a big smartphone and there's right, nothing no like problem. it's totally gender neutral. I got right? a big purse anyway. So yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Cares? Right. It's almost more to... practical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for a woman to have a large uh, smartphone. So that's, that's something I had, I'll admit it. I hadn't really considered some of that uh, because this is something, I mean, I want it now. Like I, I, I want, and I am ready to type because I, 
I don't type that much on my phone anyway. Like I, I really don't. I hate it. You know, if I'm going to type, if I'm going to talk to somebody for that long, I want to be, you know, in front of a laptop. Um, so yeah, well, you well, raise a great point. Go ahead. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean about the typing thing, I don't think people would be doing a lot of typing on smartwatches. I think a lot of it would be done with voice commands because of, well, that's part of the yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I think Google Assistant and Siri, right. a lot of these things are are still getting so pushed. Yeah, yeah, I think like just like we saw with the flip phones that then turned morphed into the BlackBerry, mm-hmm. where it had the keyboard, but it was like really small, and if you had fat fingers, it was difficult to type on a BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we saw the elimination of then we saw those slide out phones where it could slide out the keyboard and the keyboard was bigger because it was like the size of the whole phone. Yeah. And then we saw the the keyboard just go away on phones altogether and it was a touchscreen keyboard. Um, just like that I think the next step in the evolution of uh, being able to write text on a device like that mm-hmm. is the smartwatch, which wouldn't even have a keyboard, even a, even maybe a, a touchscreen keyboard. It would just be all done with voice commands, pretty much. Sure, sure. And I, I think that's part of the reason. I, yeah, I think you're you're definitely on to something with that is that this is a this is certainly a direction that I think companies are considering pushing. I think this is why you have the the Apple AirPods, which finally came out, by the way. Holy shit. And and people think they're a disaster. But anyway, um, you know, the AirPods where they're this you know, just in your ear, a little bit of business oh, they're headphones with no wires, with no wires. Oh, right. But yeah. it's all Bluetooth connected. And, but there's a, there's a ton of, for lack of a better term, there's a ton of technology inside there that cannot possibly just be about delivering audio or, you know, sending and receiving audio. Uh, mm. There's a lot more in mind there. And part of that might be is that, yeah, eventually they don't want you to interact with the keyboard at all. Um, I mean, I think, I think part of the, you know, part of the reason that this is a direction happening is the very fact that Apple and now some Android companies or, you know, companies that, that bank heavily on Android are removing are also removing the headphone jack. I mean, Apple started doing it because courage. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, other companies are, are kind of following suit. And I think really that that is all about just continually just just like hammering away or chipping away at having an interface at all. Um, so the watch, you know, might eventually just be the brains, uh, behind, you know, what, what you interact with that's plugged into your ear, you know, via Bluetooth or something. Uh, so yeah, I direct Bluetooth link to your brain. Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't do it, Sally. Well, because I was thinking like, if you get rid of a keyboard and everything has to be done by voice commands, Mm -hmm. that could be convenient in some ways, but it could also be really inconvenient because how many times are you... it's not private either. Exactly. It takes away all of your privacy. Right. Right. And then also like, how often are you in an environment where it's, there's background noise and you can't really give voice commands very easily? Yeah. Well, you know, so, so here's the thing, like I hate touchscreen keyboards. I get the advantages of them, but I don't think they outweigh And And I'm, I'm going to dive into this a little bit. Okay. Uh, the nice thing about a hardware keyboard was that, you know, one of the things that mobile has, that mobile devices have become big for is gaming. Like, I mean, it's just a fact. Now, the thing is, is that a lot of companies will want to port say their classic games, 
Uh, like recently Capcom ported its Mega Man games to, to Android. And for fuck's sake, they're $2 a piece. Do not buy them for the life of you. They are terrible, terrible. Why? Emulated. Oh my God. $2? Oh, it's bad. In fact, it's so great. The story on Android police about these Mega Man games getting released. They said, first off, you know, like you can't do it with touchscreen controls, like, because, you know, Mega Man, I mean, these are precision games mm. that you play <laughs> and the frame rates are terrible. Like there's tons of skipping. But what was beautiful for me reading the story from Android police is that the last couple chapters they said, or the last couple paragraphs, they, they said, look, you know, usually this is death for people to recommend, but I'm, t you know, this is the, this is the, the writer saying this. I'm telling you right now, you go download an emulator and you go download those games. I don't care how you do it. Do not give Capcom any money. In fact, they almost deserve getting their games illegally, quote unquote, illegally downloaded. Uh, for the bullshit that they pushed onto, you know, onto mobile, wow. you know, onto Android. And I was like, I mean, I was cheering. I was clapping. I was like, fuck yes, finally, someone else is saying, no, look, you know, stop these, these, these muprons, you know, from, from pulling these, these stunts and just go out there and send the market signal of torrenting fucking everything of theirs. You know, I was like, yes, that that's the way to go. Right. Um, so anyway, gaming on mobile, certain kinds of games, you know, fruit ninja, maybe endless runners or something like that. Okay, fine. I get it. Like that can work. But when you're trying to play like actual games or when you're trying to do actual gaming, where it requires a, a, a serious degree of skill, not just swiping on your screen, touchscreen controls are shit. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that what used to be great, like on a Blackberry or something is you could put an emulator on there for say Nintendo or something. And you had, you know, you had, it was solid like, it buttons. becomes a Game Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. You had solid. I mean, you could, whatever keys you wanted, you could end up using, you would use them and, and you could rock out a game. And that was really great. But here's the thing. Here, here's the kind of the moral of that. And that is, is that there's a certain subset to where a lot of these, you know, of having an interface, be it a hardware interface or being able to type on a smartwatch, perhaps things like this. I mean, I wear a calculator watch. I'm used to typing on a watch. I've been typing on a watch since I can remember, uh, <laughs> you know, granted only a few buttons, but still the, the world, the world is made for the average. Like literally the yep. world is completely set up for average people. <laughs> like if you, if you and are Brian Sovereign is anything but average. Damn right. And, and <laughs> same to you because yeah, you, I do you tend to fall outside of the norm <laughs> on a lot of things, but this is a huge, I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want to deep dive into this. Okay. But this is a huge concept that people need to understand. Why do you, why do you get agitated with things? Why do you hate things? Especially like, say, if you're a listener to the show, it's because the world does not cater to you in any fucking way, unless you, you know, want to hash out millions of dollars or something, right? Uh, the world caters to the average and it runs on the idea of people being average. These companies count on you being an average schmo. All right. And by virtue of that, they enforce the, the being average. You're right. Right. They incentivize being average. Right. Yeah. So while there is a subset of people that would type on a watch, while there's a subset of people that would like hardware buttons on their fucking phone so that they could play mobile games and all that, the bottom line is, is that, you know, no, nobody cares about you, you know, because you're the specialist or, you know, you're, you're the, the special case. And, and I get it. There's, you know, the market, you, you know, if there's only so many people that do this, uh, you know, then, then why would the market want to support it? Like why it'd be suicide for well, a company. But maybe to it would be an, an opportunity for a niche market. Right. But they, yeah, see, and, and exactly. That's the response. 
is that like you're still there's a niche market that you're not catering to. Now, maybe there'll be some catering with Android Wear 2.0. You know, I don't know. Uh, and some companies are still making hardware keyboards. There's a new BlackBerry coming out. I mean, granted, it runs Android. OK, and it's not really from BlackBerry. I think TCL, which is the same company that makes the television we just got, <laughs> which is a great fucking television. I wanted to talk about that. Maybe is it we'll spying get to it later. on us? Spying on us? Yeah. Is our TV spying on us? What do you mean? Because that was like one spine. of the reasons we d- didn't have a TV. Like, could the micro could the speakers be turned into a microphone or something? Oh, sure. I mean, it's connected. It's connected to the you know Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Potentially, it could be. I don't. You know, I wouldn't dare say. I mean, you have to. You don't have to, but you kind of have to set up a Roku account on it. I want to. We can talk about that more later. Okay. Um, but my point being is that you know there's a there is a. I think there's perhaps a fiscal advantage that companies see in perpetuating the average, you know, the, the average human instead of in any way trying to, you know, kind of maybe lift up or, or even, I mean, that's the thing. Like, all you got to do is have somebody cool, like, you know, you know, have fucking, uh, I don't know, pick, pick a name, pick a name of, of anybody. Um, what do you mean? Have T-Pain <laughs> playing asteroids on his watch the next day. Everybody's going to be fucking playing asteroids on their watch. I mean, that's that's the thing is that, you know, there's marketing that could be done that could get people on board with some of these ideas. Right. I mean, there's just they have a plan and they just love perpetuating the average. That's my opinion on on, on how a lot of this stuff and why a lot of different technologies, you know, work. Um I mean, I can't believe it's that much cheaper to not build in hardware switches to things. I mean, I like really, I really don't think so. And in fact, you know, when it, everything just runs towards software and software only, uh, I, I think that's that's a degree of engineering laziness that doesn't help, uh, you know, anybody. So anyway, do you have, do you have any, any last thoughts on that whole bit of business? Uh, no. <laughs> Amazingly, we're 30 minutes in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we've got a lot of stories to get into, but uh, well, let's I, I move do, on then. Yeah. All right. I want to, I want to talk this, this Bitcoin business. So again, Stephanie, of course you are on, uh, let's, let's talk, talk Bitcoin, Bitcoin, which is in many ways still the, the premier, uh, Bitcoin podcast out there. I mean, when anybody thinks, okay, I want to listen to a Bitcoin podcast, it's a pretty safe bet. They think of let's talk Bitcoin first. It's been around for, for pretty much the longest out of. Yeah. It was kind of the first. Yeah. Kind of. Was, I, I'm sure someone will bring up some example. The, yeah. But. there. I guess there were a few other Bitcoin podcasts, but um, yeah, we're one of the longest running ones. I mean, we've been going since April, 2013. Yeah. It's I mean, 2017 and, and it's quality content. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, this story came out this week and I want to talk about this just because it it is an update to something that I have mentioned on Sovereign Tech before. Uh, and there was a story that came out that Microsoft is now integrating Bitcoin into Excel. Excel 2017 in particular. Uh, wow. Yeah. So well, what like, do they mean by that, though? Well, they mean that, you know, well, what do you do with Excel? Invoicing. Invoicing. Right. So, <laughs> and keeping track of my customers. Exactly. So would having Bitcoin be like a built-in option into various, you know, cells within Excel? Would that be an adv- advantageous? Yes, that would be great for exactly. invoicing. Yeah. Right. So that's why they're doing it. Now, okay, but I but the reason I'm confused is because I, so I can make an invoice right now in Excel that tells right. my customer to pay me with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but the way I have to do it is by selecting the currency as the Thai bot, which is <laughs> which is just the symbol looks like Bitcoin. And okay. it so it has a little B and then you can put the denomination in, in Bitcoin or whatever. Right. Um, 
so it, it it's labeled as Thai bots, but it's really everybody knows as Bitcoin. So I heard something about them put them adding Bitcoin as like a currency mm-hmm. in Excel, and and they have a list of like hundreds of currencies right now from around the world. So is it that, or are they doing? more different features like you can click a link and it'll open up your bitcoin wallet from excel and other stuff like you can link to blockchain transactions or Probably you can generate a, a qr that. code from an address or something or i could see a lot of that coming down the pike i mean you know a big difference today is that now you know office microsoft office which excel is a part of gets updated you know on the regular i mean because it now it's all office 365 which is for what you pay is a great service. I'm not saying it's a great service when it comes to privacy, security, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying for what it is, it's a great service. Uh, and so, you know, I could see more features getting added in, but yeah, it, it's probably a larger, and this is what's, in, what's interesting, is it's probably a larger play on Microsoft's part, you know, to integrating Bitcoin more. Now, what's interesting about that is that you know, Microsoft was actually the first tech giant to even recognize that Bitcoin existed. And through the Microsoft store and through, you know, like the Xbox store and all this different stuff, you could actually pay for things with Bitcoin. The thing is, is that over a year, they started that in 2015, over 2016, it looked like they were backpedaling, like there was no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like they were saying, you know, suddenly it turned into not that you could pay directly with Bitcoin and they worked with BitPay. In fact, it was an amazing story where they set it up at like BitPay and Microsoft set it up in like three days. Once they decided they wanted to do it, they were sliding pizzas under the door and everything. It was quite I the thought story. that was Coinbase and Overstock. No, nah, I mean, they might have done it that way, too, but but I'm oh. fairly <laughs> it, certain. It may that, have happened more than once. Yeah, yeah that, that Microsoft and, and BitPay, like it all happened very quickly. Uh, but anyway, it, later on in 2016, it turned into, oh, no, actually, all you can do is buy gift cards, you know, in with Bitcoin. And so and that's a pain in the ass because you'd have to if you wanted something that was only nine bucks, you'd have to buy like a 10 or 15 dollar gift card. Mm-hmm. And then there's just money floating around, you know, in the Microsoft store. What the fuck? Uh, so it looked oh, a they lot. They love that. What's that? They love that. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it really, you know, it looked like. Microsoft was backpedaling a lot on their initial support of uh, of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And through 2016, I mean, admittedly, they were pushing a lot of different things. They were suddenly talking to, what was the company, Consensus, the Ethereum company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, they actually did their own, they called it Azure Blockchain, mm-hmm. which is, you know, integrating blockchain with, you know, Microsoft Azure, yeah. which is their big, you know, server uh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's pretty much their cloud uh, where they host a lot of the Internet, frankly. And and also, but this is like, I just I think they're confused. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, maybe what, what you think about mm. this. But I think they're very confused because they've one of the big things that they've pushed. And this is ironic is Ethereum Classic. In fact, I half wonder just how much they're behind that in, and how much they're behind its its viability itself uh because i mean my own opinion is is that ethereum is completely like it's unrecoverable it's unsavable after the dao hack it's done i still think that's true even though i mean it can take things a while to die but um you know a a, a dead cat bounces twice right um (laughs) so (laughs) isn't that the old saying I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I kind of wonder like how much of Ethereum still being viable has to do with Microsoft being in the background, you know, as as far as all that goes. Mm. But I mean, what do you think? What are, what are your thoughts? So I I guess what, you know, what I want to update on is that it seems like Microsoft is back into Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and probably because they've dalliance 
with these other, uh, you know, various Ethereum, blockchain And they realized that it was a joke. And it, now they're like, oh, Bitcoin's the actual real thing. Exactly. Because otherwise, why not? Especially, I mean, with smart contracts and all this stuff. I mean, like, why not integrate Ethereum? You know, why, why pussyfoot yeah, around it? Because it's unstable. Yeah. Yeah. Why are <laughs> they going with it? It's not Bitcoin? a good idea. And it's too complicated to be secure. So now they see Bitcoin and they're like, oh, it's it's not Turing vulnerable, to borrow a phrase from our friend Justice Ranbir. Yep. Because <laughs> they say, you know, Ethereum is quote, so-called Turing complete, but that's kind of framing the question when you could really just as easily say it's Turing vulnerable because yes. it's got its complexity is makes things less secure and there's more ways to attack Ethereum. It's but whereas Bitcoin is you can still do a lot in, in terms of coding smart contracts just with the Bitcoin based protocol itself. Mm -hmm. um, and you may not need all these bells and whistles in Ethereum that just make it less secure and enable it to do more things, but at the expense of security. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's totally a viable um, possibility that that Microsoft was interested in cryptocurrency from Bitcoin in the initially like in 2014 when Bitcoin did its big rise, they started accepting it or yeah. maybe 2013, they started sort of accepting it um, for buying gift cards. And then they were like, oh, well, there's way more to this whole cryptocurrency thing. What about this Bitcoin 2.0? We should jump on board with that because we missed the boat on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So then they then they get interested in Ethereum and then they see Ethereum kind of crash and burn and do all these hard forks. And they're like, oh, shit, well, maybe we better go back to basics, Bitcoin seems like it's way more stable and secure. So why don't we see what we can do with that? And there's a little plenty you can do with just Bitcoin. So yeah, that makes total sense that they're that they're doing exactly that. Yeah, that's my take is that is that this is really, you know, just proof that Microsoft, the guys at Microsoft are saying, oh, wait a minute. These competitors, these Bitcoin 2.0 guys are not worth our time. Right. This is not the future. We haven't even got the 1.0 out of beta yet, technically. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, and also, you know, keep in mind that once it gets baked into Excel, like Office is a complete package, then it's going to start working with other things within mm -hmm. Office, uh, which could get very interesting, you know, as well. And I mean, and that includes Outlook, which that could become a huge deal. Ooh, I mean, imagine sending payments, payments by email. Outlook. Oh, right. my God. It has yeah. an integrated Bitcoin wallet or something. Right. Or through Skype. Oh, like, my God. Uh, yeah. So I mean, cool. there, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting things, I think, that could start happening, you know, now that it's getting baked in officially. And it's the only one mm -hmm. getting baked in officially into Office 365. I mean, yes, it's just Excel specifically right now, but that can grow. I mean, then it can go to their, you know, their gaming channels. I mean, it can do all kinds of things. I mean, imagine imagine if they're the first company that could have Cortana send somebody money with Bitcoin. I mean, wouldn't that be? Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. I, I mean, frankly, I feel like they should already have that feature. But I mean, whatever, if it takes yeah, maybe a few more years to appear, that's OK. Maybe there's some way that that can happen now. But, you know, for it to be like baked in, I think that that could get really interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm not saying that that, that it could ha already happen now. I'm saying like they should have already gotten on this. You know what I mean? Yes. Like Microsoft yeah. should have. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, Microsoft's a very different company now, you know, and I actually I like the fact to some degree, this gives me a bit of confidence because they're not the slow moving dinosaur anymore. Mm. They're they're realizing within like a year. Yeah, we're we're playing. Maybe we're playing for the wrong team here, you know, and, and, and getting they have interested. to compete with Apple Pay, too. Well, right. That well, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Is that Microsoft Wallet hasn't exactly taken off because 
you know, Windows 10 mobile hasn't really taken off. And so, you know, what, what can we do, you know, as far as that goes? Uh, so yeah, it, I, I thought it was an interesting story. It's an update. Clearly they have reversed their position. Uh, I think they were backpedaling away from it and they were looking at other things and they probably, you know, for them, same thing that I saw, they probably saw what happened with the Dow, you know, with the DAO and, you know, that whole, that whole crack or whatever, or, or, uh, uh, exploit. I don't, I don't know what we want to use. Exploit is a good word. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't really theft. I mean, mm-hmm. the person played within the rules of the Dow. So, um, you know, I think they saw that and they said, ah, no, <laughs> we're not, we're not messing with this anymore. Uh, so good. Anyway, I, I think that's, that's actually kind of a good story there. Um, not that I'm against, in fact, I'll ask this of you, Stephanie. I mean, I'm not against, you know, quote unquote, altcoins or other cryptocurrencies. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm very bullish on some of them. I think Zcash is an exciting, uh, you know, idea. And there's, there's a lot of other ones. I mean, what do you, what do you think? How are you um, feel about altcoins today? Yeah, I, I guess I I do think there's some cool ideas being tested out in altcoins mm-hmm. and like maybe they're little sandboxes to try out some different ideas. Sure. But and I'm not I wouldn't call myself like a Bitcoin maximalist, but at the same time like there's so much cool and interesting stuff in in Bitcoin. It sometimes it just seems overwhelming and complicated to try to learn about all these different altcoins as well. Sure. No, that, that, that's a totally fair answer. I think that's fine. But yeah. I'll tell you, if you do want to learn about all these other altcoins and, uh, you know, all these wallets and everything that's going on today, this is called a segue. I want you to go to CryptoCompare.com, okay? Yes. (laughs) CryptoCompare.com. This is a tab in my web browser that is open at all times, baby. I love CryptoCompare.com. I mean, especially Bitcoin's been on a bit of a rise as late. Uh, which, by the way, if you didn't notice, CryptoCompare.com is actually a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. That's why I'm, I'm doing this. I'm not just like schlepping a website to you, uh, you know, for no reason whatsoever. Uh, they they care about the message that Sovereign Tech sends out there and they appreciate it. Uh, and, and I'm really honored by that to have them as a sponsor. Uh, but yeah, Bitcoin has been I mean, what what did it kiss 1200? What, what was it, it did doing? just briefly, but yeah. then it went corrected a little bit. Yeah. I, so here, I'll ask you this because you probably don't get to answer this. Well, anyway. Oh, fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, do you think, and of course you want to go to CryptoCompare.com to keep an eye on this and watch the trends and all that and get social with it. Do you think that, I've heard one speculation that Bitcoin could touch, could do 7,000 this year in 2017. 7,000? That's a little bit By bold. the end of the year. What do you think? <laughs> Uh, nope. I think 2000, maybe. You think 2000? Maybe. Yeah. All right. By the end of 2017. All right. Friendly bet. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it will exceed 7,000. You think it's going to go over 7,000? I'm, I'm of the, so. All right. How much are we betting? So here. Well. Bet a Bitcoin? (laughs) (laughs) If I'm right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. If if, if you're right. Well, then it'll be a painful lesson for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, well, so. There was speaking of predictions that I've made in the past, I am one of those who said, you know, about three years ago that look in about three years, Bitcoin's going to do 10,000. There's no reason that it can't do 10,000. Now, I'm not the only person that's thought that even Bitcoin's detractors have admitted that at some point it could do 10,000. Of course, then they think it'll die. I don't think it'll die. I think it'll just keep going or it'll it might even steady out there. That's fine uh, because the infrastructure is finally here. And I think if you read a lot of the Bitcoin news websites, you're really seeing that infrastructure is here because there's not so much, at least I've noticed in the past few months. Infrastructure, you're talking about companies that use Bitcoin, right? Companies that use or develop for, yeah. you know, various uh, you know, various different services and whatever else. So I agree with that. However, 
the thing that tempers my opinion about where the price is going to go is the scaling debate has yet to resolve and there's problems with Bitcoin scaling because now mm-hmm. the blocks are filled up. They're filling up or filled up and uh, the transaction fees are rising. Yep. And there's still this problem where the block size is, is limited at one megabyte per block. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like there is a company that um, was relying on sort of Bitcoin microtransactions okay. that said it was basically suspending operations because they can't figure out like how to make their business model work. You talking about change tip? No, I'm talking about um, watch, okay. my, watch my bit. Oh, oh, they're shutting down? Yeah. Oh, well, shit. they're I not know. shutting down. They're suspending operations. So, so watch my bit is slash was a company that lets you pay little little microtransactions. Like I'm talking five cents on the order of five cents worth of Bitcoin, right. To watch a video, and then it distributes the royalties from those videos to the content creators, and then also some to watch my bit itself, or it can yeah. send it to charity or whatever. So they have this te- they have this technology that you know you do micropayments and it gives you access to the video. Um, but they basically said now their business model is kind of there's a big problem with it because the transaction fees are going more on the order of 10 to 40 cents per transaction right and so obviously if you're paying like a 100% fee just to watch a video then that's kind of going to cramp your style a little bit i that's that's a great caution to bring up yeah i'll raise you yours.network uh-huh. Um, yours that network, which is being created by just a phenomenal guy, Ryan X Charles, or he's 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 a spearheader at it. You know, yeah, I don't, he's I don't, cool. Uh, he that that's kind of his main. You know, it's it's supposed it's a social network kind of built around Bitcoin, around the technology of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But the the secret sauce of it is that they are going to lick microtransactions. At least that's the claim. But they're aren't they building sort of like a Lightning Network implementation kind of thing? Right, but then that then that that would be sort of the solution, right? Right. Yeah. So the Lightning Network is something that that basically would sidestep the issue of of transaction fees on the blockchain on mm-hmm. the Bitcoin blockchain um, by doing these sort of well these sort of off chain transactions basically. Sure. Um, it's a solution when the Bitcoin you know that doesn't require the Bitcoin block size to increase, but um, that doesn't exist yet. Right. Oh, yeah. No, they admit it that they don't like that they're working on it. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a great problem to tackle, but it's not available yet for Watch My Bit or for other companies that were relying on Bitcoin microtransactions. So so I I just bring that up because not because I I think it's going to kill Bitcoin or anything like that. But like it is, I think, sort of an impediment to Bitcoin's growth, whereas Yes, the infrastructure is being developed in terms of companies and services that you use and develop for Bitcoin. But on the other hand, the scaling problem is holding it back. Sure. No, I, 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 I think that's, you know, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think they might get this licked and, and then, you know, I, I can see it you know, doing its thing, but yep. very reasonable answer on your part. I, I think absolutely. Yeah, it will. It, this will provide the impetus to get the problem solved. Yeah. And one way or another. <laughs> right. And to allow the value, you know, I think really to, to hit that, you know, to hit those all time highs. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> long done not announcing the sponsor, but <laughs> so why don't we get into, I actually, I think that was a fascinating bit of conversation. Yeah, there, so thank you for segment. that. Um, why don't we get into 
one of our main stories this week. And, and I'm not doing any, any segments, uh, this week. So, you know, we're just, we're just going to run this baby right through, uh, and we'll get right into the next Slipper story. The big one. Slipper the big one. <laughs> well, you know, that's actually a great thing to mention. Well, I don't know if it's a great thing to mention, <laughs> but woo, uh, talk about slipping the big one. This is from TechCrunch. this story. Why don't we break into it? Uh, and it's from January 4th, 2017. Oh my bod. That's the name of a company. O H M I bod mm-hmm. invites developers to make cyber sexy apps for its sex toys. Ooh, what do we got here? I'm going to read the story. Uh, and, and I really want to hear what you have to say about a lot of this stuff. <laughs> cool. we'll, we'll break into this, uh, sex toy maker. Oh my bod just announced that the company is looking to open up its relationship with developers <laughs> <laughs> best known for its digitally connected vibrators. Oh, my bod will release an open SDK to accompany its latest line of uh, devices. This spring, the company notes that some creative apps could tie the company's line of sex toys into hookup apps like Tinder and grinder grinder, making for some far more interactive new ways to Swipe right or hashtag mask for mask mask for mask for ma- mask is um like gay guys I'm they so want glad I had you on <laughs> mask means masculine so they oh. want so when gay guys say oh oh no femmes I'm looking for a mask guy they want like a masculine like a straight appearing masculine looking guy gotcha it's like when you know for example me I like women but I would say like femme for femme because I'm pretty femme but I would want another femme looking woman. I'm not like as much into butch looking women or androgynous. Right. It's like, you're, it's like a way of describing your type basically. Okay. Yeah. See, I am such a prude. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're not a prude. You just don't go on grinder. No, so I don't I do blame not. you for not knowing. Nor but, Tinder. Yeah, nor <laughs> Tinder. <laughs> but that's another conversation. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll keep reading here. Uh, oh, my bod founder, Suki Dunham, Lays it out for us. Quote, imagine you're on a dating app and chatting with a potential partner and they are, quote unquote, OMB enabled. For example, a pink dot on the screen that signifies a user is in an active state, much like Facebook Messenger, like I guess where there's that little green dot. (laughs) If they are active, it means that they are connected to one of our blue motion vibes. Uh, And we'll we'll describe what that is in a second. I mean, well, okay. so so what they offer, they offer effectively like dildos and various things that you could slip into panties or something Mm -hmm. or even stuff I think that you could you know, put around your cock if you wanted to, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it can all be controlled remotely. Like that's, that's sort of the gist here. Uh, so reading on, uh, the partner could accept an incoming request to take control of their vibrator while in a chat or video session. It allows for virtual intimate experiences without leaving the privacy of your own home. This concept reshapes the entire idea of virtual or digital foreplay and quote, read a little bit more here. We're inclined to agree that, yeah, if there's an, any developer interest that could be, that could be pretty interesting. Of course, oh my bod is just one school of fish in this cyber, cyber dildonic sea. Uh, there's not exactly an established platform for sex toy developers. So things remain pretty brand and device specific, at least until someone like, oh my bod detracts or attracts devs to an awesome open standard that manufacturers team up on, or until all of our smart vibrators are hijacked into weird, sexy botnets, whichever comes first. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, oh my bod has been paving new paths for good old fashioned cyber sex for a while. Now the company's trademark is its line of smart sex toys that allow remote users to connect like the blue motion NEX one, which the wearer can slip inside their underwear to get sneaky sensations from their own paired device or from anyone else on their Wi-Fi. 
with the companion app. Ooh. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to imagine all kinds of interesting apps that could connect remote users to toys and to one another. With the advent of smart sex toys, virtual reality, and increasingly sophisticated haptic feedback, digital kink is entering a new era altogether. Oh My Bods SDK will be available in late spring alongside, and the course is for 2017, alongside the company's upgrades of its Blue Motion vibrators to uh, Bluetooth Low Energy. In the meantime, developers can sign up to receive updates from the company about its forthcoming SDK. Uh, anyway, the link for all this is in the show notes in case you want to I know I have a large developer audience, and in case you want to start developing for this, personally, I can't think of much better to develop for. Rock and roll, baby. Go. Woo, do it. Uh, so <laughs> now, Stephanie, I guess first. Now, I mean, this is. Oh, my God. What so the, many thoughts about this. I don't doubt it. And I want to hear them all. So do all the listeners. I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, opening opening up a platform like that, creating an open SDK, this is how you get adoption. This is this is just this is standard fare that lots of you know in, in a bunch of different categories, subcategories, you know, in markets that people do. This is how they get you know people on board and they become kind of a market leader. Really, is when they have this open SDK. Uh, so that's a good thing. Just in practice, this is the right way to do business. Uh, you know, for a tech company, and and I you know this is a genuine tech company, even though it's you know sexual or cyber dildonics, right? Um, so. You know, that I, I assume you would agree with that, like that, that this is a this is a good thing to do overall uh, from a business like just, standpoint, just opening up the SDK. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. Right. Right. OK. So because some people are very much like, oh, no, keep it closed. Don't you know, otherwise this is going to allow people to you know, blow anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, controlling point of view. Sure. Right. So but now in the abstract, like, do you think because, again, this is the first step into getting mass adoption. Do you think that this is going that cyber dildonics in general, these this idea of like remote, you know, kind of what what oh my bot is delivering here? Do you think that this is a, the future? How do you feel about it being tied into Tinder and Grinder? How do you feel about it overall? Like, I mean, you, go ahead, give me the takes. I know you got a ton of thoughts. I feel mixed about it overall. <laughs> mixed, okay. Yeah, tell me. Um, so the first one of the first things that comes up is, I think conservatives should love this. Because uh -huh. there's so many boomers and conservatives that complain about all oh, the kids they're going on Tinder and Grinder and hooking up with each other and STDs are on the rise and everybody's just having casual sex and fucking all the time. Well, guess what? If people were to uh, just masturbate together and maybe have the other person control their sex toy um, instead of actually meeting up and bumping genitals together, <laughs> it would actually do a lot to decrease the rates of STI transmission. So this should be really popular with the CDC. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Government <laughs> should, should sponsor it, in fact. <laughs> Catholics should go <laughs> nuts totally over this kidding one. about that. <laughs> I don't want government to sponsor anything. But, right. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, actually, this could make safe safe sex more accessible uh -huh. um so you could get off with somebody but not actually have to swap fluids with them which could result in sdi transmission very demolition man of you okay <laughs> you, you, you haven't seen that we haven't watched that yet it's a great movie with, uh, so what do you sandra bullock that? well so in that like it's in the future mm -hmm. and it's sylvester stallone's in it wesley snipes just a classic film jesse ventura uh in that like humans don't touch each other anymore mm -hmm. they they just put on this headset and it's like they're having sex and Stallone and Sandra Bullock do it that way. And Stallone flips out. He's like, it's like, you know, why did you break contact? He's a like, contact. I haven't even touched you yet. You know, because they're, they're doing it all virtually. And, oh. and it's all because that keeps people from transmitting, you know, STIs. Wow. Um, so 
that's why I say, I mean, like, this is definitely something people have theorized, you know, Mm -hmm. about it's like replacing sex actually, you know, for the safety of the species Mm -hmm. (laughs) after a fashion. Uh, So, but keep going, please. Yeah. But I mean, like, I could see people really liking this if they feel like having sex, but they don't feel like actually going out and getting all dressed up and going out into the cold and spending money and getting a cab or whatever. You know, they can just do it from the comfort of their own home. And for long distance relationships, it's great. Okay, so now I have a question for you. Uh How do you feel about because, again, this is going to be I mean, like it's a good idea that, say, Tinder or Grindr has it to where you can be set for active, you know, um, that way there's consent. But, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you feel about it? Like somebody potentially, say, through Tinder or something remotely, you know, giving you an orgasm. Or even if it's not through Tinder, it could just be through fuck. It could be through any messaging app, you know, whatever. That's the thing, because so not that I would be looking for guys on these websites, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but if I were your average heterosexual woman, because let's be honest, that's who my masturbates with vibrators usually is is women female well female bodied people i would say people with vulvas and clitorises and stuff sure um if i were one of those people and i was looking for a guy i would not think the guy would know how to drive my vibrator better than i would (laughs) so what is the point of letting him drive it you know (laughs) well okay what if how about this? What if, I mean, just, and you can have more problems than that. You know, of course I'm, I'm just saying, what if you like were able to program a pattern, like you knew a set pattern mm-hmm. that, that is going to get you off. Then he's not controlling it or she's not controlling it. Right. But they are saying when to, when to activate. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. But I have to say, okay, you can go ahead and activate it now. And then they flip the switch and turn it on. No, right, right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what they're, that's what they said in the articles. Like you have to be set for active or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like, do you see this as something that people are going to take to? Is it something like that you, if there's a video chat aspect involved, maybe, I don't know. Okay. That's um, fair. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like maybe it would, maybe this would be something that would help women have more sex and feel safer having sex with more or less strangers mm-hmm. and uh, and because when you're a woman and you're looking for hookups like you have to be really careful that you don't get assaulted or kidnapped or raped or whatever mm-hmm. or or the person completely misrepresents themselves or you go halfway across town or whatever and like i think women have good reasons to feel afraid when they're using hookup apps and be very cautious but if you didn't have to leave your house you know you could just kind of have sort of sex with a stranger but actually just be completely safe using your vibrator at home like sure. yeah that would probably that really lowered the threshold so that a lot more women would feel comfortable doing it than actually going out and meeting up with a random stranger for hookup. I could see people, men and women, okay, or, you know, Z, whatever. I could see people getting like, like this could be the new notification, you know, like where, where they are walking somewhere in a city or something and people are just like flipping like, wow, you're hot and you're just getting off on how hot everybody thinks you are. You know what I mean? Like, and you're getting the physical response. Oh, there's you know. a thing in your underwear. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that's how this, that's how this would effectively work. I mean, some, I mean, these toys, one are, of their have, toys, one of their work toys works way, yeah. within, you know, the underwear. And I could see people like this could really be, you know, th- this could be very kind of ego boosting or, or uh, esteem boosting. I shouldn't say ego necessarily. Um, 
And what do you think about that? Do you think that's a possibility? Um, it would be fun, but you would have to have a lot of people who are all in on it and have the app or whatever. I mean, in the frankly, same place. like I'd much rather have this. Maybe someone would would create a you know an app or an extension that would allow it to do this. I'd much rather get that than get, you know, a red one or red 20 on my Facebook, you know, fucking app, like, <laughs> you know, to, to, to get my, to get my, my stroking. But that's another thing. Like you don't use a vibrator and most nope. people who have the genitalia that you do penises don't use vibrators. Is there going to be a masturbation sleeve or you yeah, know, I whatever that. that kind of thing? And then how does it get controlled by someone else? I mean, like, that's kind of weird. Well, again, it would work where you're active and then it would have to be through like Tinder, you know, something like that. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would ha- it would be hard to do both people at the same time. Like you'd, would, you would kind of have to take turns because it would probably be like if you're driving someone else's sex toy, mm-hmm. it probably takes a lot of concentration. It's almost like you're going down on them or something. You ha- you're completely paying attention to them. Hmm. Whereas it'd be hard to have your own at the same time. Focus on your huh. own pleasure. Well, I mean, it'd be a, it would just be like a new way of having sex, and that's fun and exciting and yeah. interesting to try. And people should be able to try it, you know, as when the technology gets there. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it would exactly be for me. I, I would try it if sure. there was a if there was a woman who was who was willing. Well, let, all right. but but then that's the other thing. Like, <sighs> there's always a potential for fraud in dating, whether you're talking about people meeting each other and then just lying about their age or whatever sure. or job or how much money they make or whatever. Um, and then when you get into online dating websites, they could be not even who they say they are. They could they could not look like their pictures. They could be using right. someone else's pictures. Well, they could be not the gender they say that they are, you know. Yeah, that that's a problem with these networks and not cyber dildonics. Right. Yeah, it, it it is. But don't you think you might feel a little bit more violated if someone else was driving your dildo who you didn't think they were? Well, let's talk about this. Okay. So, yeah. So the con- I hear the concern that someone else is going to be, you know, driving this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, again, I. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is, is that I will admit, and I am not in any way claiming or denying that I'm any kind of hacker. Um, but there's a part of me, a big part of me, that if the whole world was wearing shit from Oh My Bod, like. That's a righteous hack I'd go for. Like, I, I would want to... You would try to mess with people. I would want to activate every single one on the planet, like, at the <laughs> same time. It'd be like the fucking brown note on South Park, but it, instead it'd be the G note, maybe. <laughs> but I, I, And here's the problem with that, though, is like... It's non-consensual? Right, it's, that, that's effectively rape. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, yep. that's, and that's a huge concern here, is that what happens, and I, and I, I, I apologize for taking this into a dark turn, Okay. Now, granted, I wouldn't actually do that. That's kind of like, I yeah. guess, maybe it's a degree of a fantasy. Yeah, in my but mind. somebody would want to do that. That's the problem, right? And I mean, what does this do to you know a, a young person? Not even just a young person, an older person. What what does this do to to a human that say you know has one of these and maybe they set it up between you know boyfriend and boyfriend girlfriend and girlfriend girlfriend and boyfriend however however the relationship works out or maybe it's a triad who knows but someone you know cracks it and and you find out hey we you know that your partners didn't do it mm-hmm. 
who did it and mm-hmm. like you know what does that do to the mind like I, I, yeah that's what i was saying like yeah. it, if if it does get hacked or whatever and then also there's the the concern about it being linked with the profile that you have on maybe a dating site that's personally identifiable information you know, does oh, it have your... It's going to have an... Yeah, I mean, it's a device that's going to have some kind of unique identifier, an IP address. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be linked to who you are to a certain extent. Yeah. And so, oh, I mean, that's creepy. Like, we talked on Sex and Science Hour about that. There was a so-called smart dildo or something or vibrator yep. that would connect to an app and you could get... You could unlock, like, extra patterns of vibration and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. You could unlock different patterns by downloading the app. Right. But the problem was that the app was sending data back to the company that made the app and the dildo about like when you were using it. And then it also included like your email address, which yeah. that's getting a little bit personal, don't yeah, you think? Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, right. And this is the thing is that any of these, even if it's just connected through Bluetooth or something, you know, it's another gateway, potential gateway to all of your other information, to your entire life, you know, digital or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think what a lot of people are going to simply say is that, well, don't wear the thing all the time. But the way that they're marketing this is that they do want you wearing it all the time. Again, this is something that you're going to be, you know, because you're always on Tinder, right? I mean, well, I don't don't use Tinder, so I don't exactly know. But my understanding is, is that people like... Oh, yeah. You can get a notification or a match like any time. Right. And so if you set things up, I mean, maybe people just they'll they'll get tired of it. If if this actually becomes a thing, maybe they're like, yeah, I'm not leaving my profile as active to where, you know, that you can you can activate my Mm -hmm. what's in my pants. Mm -hmm. Uh, But (laughs) uh, I don't know. On, On the flip side, though, like the where this really gets exciting for me is virtual reality and well what what they've been talking about cyber sex mm-hmm. you know this gets exciting for long distance relationships uh you know not just i mean maybe just with you know friends with benefits or something like i i think that could get really fucking cool to where what you're typing out like you could have keywords perhaps in a chat you know or what you're typing out the the oh my bod device will end up starting doing mm-hmm. right and or simulating mm-hmm and I think that's awesome. Or with VR, I mean, I'll admit it. One of the big things that excites me about virtual reality, I mean, there's really only two, well, there's three things that I want. One of them being, you know, uh, trying to heal from traumas, you know, like like the, the psych. Therapy. Uh, yeah. Therapy. Yeah, the therapy. Yeah. Exactly. The therapy applications, I think, are, are very exciting. Um, but the other two, one is is that I want to watch movies like I'm in a theater in the 1980s. And the <laughs> other is, you know, like games aren't even a part of it. The other is, is that I want to be able to interact with people you know, like in a virtual community, but I want to be able to interact with them as far as, Hey, let's stoop. Right. You know, I, I you know, long distance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if there's virtual orgies going on, I mean, who the hell knows, right. How that turns out. Okay. So this is one of those technologies that could really make that a far more viable, you know, thing to happen. So I agree with, I really do agree with all of the dangers that you laid out and some of the ones I brought up as well. But at the same time, like I can see some awesome applications for this stuff. Yeah, I see good and good and bad sides to it too, and mostly good. Like same here, more yeah. good, more good than bad. Yeah, like, just I'm the posi- bad can be really bad. That's the problem. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm net positive on this. But you know, one more bad thing that I wanted to mention though yeah. is like, there's a part of me that's saying, like, yes, I know this is going to be a new way of having sex and this is going to be a new like sexual skill that's different than anything we've known before. Mm -hmm. But part of me is saying like, okay, 
you can maybe learn how to drive a vibrator, but does that really make you good at sex? Are you actually adding anything to your sexual repertoire that's really valuable? Yeah, not at all. I I feel like, no, you're not. Like you're making, you're turning a machine on and off. Right. And it's not really, like, doesn't really require any skill. And you might think that you're, like, good at sex. People, like, I could just picture dudes getting these overinflated egos because they can turn a vibrator on and make a woman orgasm. (laughs) you know, and think that they did the work or something, you know, and then the woman's like, oh, wow, I orgasmed. Um, Let's meet up and have sex. And then they're terrible in bed because they don't know how to actually drive a person's vulva or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I I, I mean, again, everything, you know, there's there's kind of a fetish for everything, right? Like, I think a lot of people say, well, this is where we this is how we get to the future where nobody's having babies anymore. That future is we've talked about this on Sex and Science R2. Look, that future is never going to happen. No, okay, because there's always going to be people who are going to want to have fucking babies. Totally. There are always going to be people people who are going to want the real thing. Yeah. There's going to be people that fetishize, you know, yeah, the real thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And and you you could quibble over the word fetish, Mm -hmm. you know, for that. But you get my point. Mm hmm. Um, but just to show that this is like, this is really a thing up and coming. There was actually a story in TechCrunch um, where uh, just for 2016, uh, Pornhub, they, they just added their VR porn section in April of 2016. And they're claiming now that there's already, they have already had 38 million searches mm. for VR porn. Wow. Um, and they only have like 1800 videos. So, you know, do the math on that. Wow. There's a lot of people looking for VR fucking porn. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure they want that next level mm. of, you know, of, of, of that whole, that whole action. Uh, in fact, you know, go ahead. I, I was just thinking, I wonder, um, one of the, the great, um, things I think about VR sex is that it, it may take the pressure off sex workers and, and, you know, let them not have to do work that they don't want to do. I think it can make a lot of that less dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, so there could be sex work applications for this teledildonics thing as well. Sure. You know, where people could safely engage in sex work where they wouldn't have to actually meet up with a person. And so therefore it makes it safer. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, this is this could definitely take the cam world, you know, to again, to a whole new level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I feel like to, to have really good sex in this way that involves controlling remotely controlling a sex toy device, mm-hmm. you would have to incorporate other stuff in it, like perhaps a phone call, a video call, a erotic chat with a story, a um, <laughs> a movie that goes along with it. Or, I, I don't know, just a lot of teasing, perhaps. Um, well, I mean, I think that's that's why they're opening up the SDK. Yeah. You yeah. know, putting it out there so yeah, that yeah, it can get sense. attached to other, you know, to other apps. It can do all these other things. And you're right. And this is another thing, too, is that I could see some really, I, I think if it's anything, my, my personal opinion for the future is that this is not going to be that popular on Tinder. Um, it, it's not going to be that popular, you know, grinder or whatever. Okay. Uh, because I think people, it, it'll be a gimmick and people will get tired of it, you know, soon enough. Uh, the, yeah. It, it, it probably will be a gimmick. Right. Yeah. The only way it's really going to take off is that there are going to have to be kind of curators of cyber dildonic, you know, uh, applications and, and, uh, of, of implementations more important, not, not applications that could be confused when I'm just talking about apps, which I'm not, uh, cyber, like cyber sex itself in my opinion, requires cyber sex can be some of the best sex you'll ever have like straight up because it's all mental. 
Um, it's, and you can do anything, right? Like the sky's the limit. It's whatever you can type, but that's the thing for cyber sex to really be great for it to be something worthwhile doing, in my opinion, outside of, um, you know, good old fashioned hanky panky, you know, the, the wild mambo, the hunk of chunka is horizontal polka, uh, is, uh, (laughs) is you, you gotta be creative. You know, you got to have that ability to to really like like make something and really flesh it out. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Uh, As always, even if you're using a toy in person with a partner, yeah, right. You have to be creative, right? So I think for this to really take off, you're still going to have to. It, people are still going to have to be really fucking good in a different way, you know. But you you've got to have you got to have kind of something special. So, you know, I could see whole businesses getting built around this. I mean, where, where people create these, like, I think one of the more interesting ones you, or, well, they're all interesting, but one of the more interesting ones that you mentioned was like an interactive erotic fiction of some kind, um, that you could play through and you could feel it as you go through it. I mean, like I could even see this becoming a thing in the video game world, mm. uh, you know, after a fashion, uh, that's How about the one- we hook this up to one of my audiobooks and <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Oh, so Anyway, this is, folks, this is coming <laughs> again, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, and that's, and that's interesting to hear, Stephanie, that, that like me, you feel this is a net positive. Yeah, mostly good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a thing. And I think the applications, the implementations, you know, are, are vast, you know, from IRC to VR. I mean, it's, it's going to be all over the place. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, did you have any other comments you wanted to make on, on that whole thing? Uh, no, just that I kind of want to try it. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to ask you. Tri- will you volunteer? Absolutely. We, 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 can, we can try this stuff out. I'll even, I'm not one for them. I'm really not one for male toys whatsoever, but if whatever they have for male toys, I, I'll give it a shot, you know, and, cool. and, and see what's up. The, All right. You hear that? Uh, what's the name of the company? Um, oh, my bod. Oh, my bod. All right. You hear that? Oh, my bod. You got some beta testers. They could be a spot. You know, I'm going to contact them to be a sponsor oh, for Sovereign Tech. This is right up their fucking alley, and then it'll be Patreon only content when we record. Ooh, <laughs> yes, oh, that's gonna that's gonna get hot. Uh, <laughs> so you might as well join the Patreon now. Do it now. Just go to sovereigntech.com. S o v r y n, and for at least a dollar a month. Though again, most people do significantly more. Um, just got one today that was for five dollars a month, and that, which is just fantastic. So anyway, let's move into another story. I can't believe we're we're an hour and thirteen in. You know, time flies when you're having fun. I guess. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get to all the stories that I had lined up, but one of them was eh, I had to do seasteading, and I don't. I don't really oh, that's shit. interesting. Maybe we could do it as a bonus or something. Uh, yeah, something some other time. We'll we'll, we'll see. So anyway, uh, I want to get into the, this. Is what I consider to be a actually a really interesting um, subject, and I actually have a video that I want to play, or well, audio. It's not obviously you can't see the video, uh, but it's from a video. And this has to do with the calendar. Now, Patreon listeners, speaking of them, might have heard me talk a little bit about this when I did a Patreon special uh, last week, which was the the Hidden History of Christmas, which I've gotten tremendous response for. People just went apeshit over it. Uh, which I still have to listen to that one. I really wanted to hear it. Yeah, yeah I, I love getting well, to put on my historian uh, cap. So 
I mentioned it there, and this is a subject that, well, you know, I complain about some things, like that base 10 math maybe isn't the best thing. Maybe base 12 math is is the way to go. Or that English is just a terribly shitty language. We should either be rocking E-prime or maybe even French uh, or something like this. And not recently. It's something I've heard about before, but it's something that people seem to have started to get interested in again, is this concept called the Holocene uh, calendar. Okay, and it's H-O-L-O-C-E-N-E. And it's an idea that's actually from the 90s. Like, like this has been around for a little while. Yeah, I think I've heard it, yeah, back a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been talked about, and, and people will kind of banty back and forth as far as when is the start date of this. But just, you know, enough of me talking about it. To give you an idea of the concept, um, I found this, this just this fascinating audio that covers it because they're trying to actually make this calendar really a thing, which honestly I support. So uh, let's let's hit up the video. We'll be right back. Humans have existed for millions of years as part of nature, but then something changed, and in an incredibly short amount of time, we terraformed this planet and designed it to fit our needs. As far as we know, we're the first beings to awaken and completely take over a planet. The transition from hunting and gathering to farming and building was so breathtakingly fast that many of our ways of thinking about the world are no longer useful. One of our most outdated ideas is that the most commonly used calendar in the world insists that we live in the year 2016. This distorts our view of our own history and makes it harder to understand who we are as a species and just how far we've come in an incredibly short amount of time. So maybe it's time to choose a year zero for humanity. A year zero that truly represents us as a species and includes all cultures. A year zero that marks when we began building our own world on top of the old one. Twelve thousand years ago, hundreds of humans came together in the hills of southern Anatolia. They were hunters and gatherers without knowledge of agriculture or metalworking. All they had were tools made of stone and wood. But they built humanity's first big construction project, seven thousand years before the pyramids were built in Egypt. Spread over three hundred meters, our ancestors erected circles of massive stone pillars, each of them up to six meters high and forty tons in weight. Decorated with artful pictograms and stone carvings of animals and mythical creatures. We have no idea how they were able to do this. It was probably a project of epic scale for the Stone Age, requiring a level of organization we didn't know early humans were capable of until we found this site. So, why did they build it? The most popular theory is that this was the first temple of humanity, dedicated to long-forgotten gods. We only know that this construction project, the first of its kind, marks the beginning of a new era. It's in this area, around that time, that humans truly began to build their own world, which would make it a fitting milestone in our history for the start of our calendar. This moment in time is so distinct that scientist Cesare Emiliani proposed that humanity should switch to what he called the Holocene calendar by adding 10,000 years to our current Gregorian calendar. We don't need to change our well-established days and months, and religious calendars could stay the same as well. 
but for all official purposes, our current year would be the year 12,016 of the human era. This would drastically alter how we think about history and how it feels. Let's take a very brief look and move through our new history from our new year zero. 12,000 years ago saw the beginning of the first construction project kicking off our history. It would be in use for about 2,000 years. It took nearly a millennium until Jericho, probably the first city on Earth, was founded in the year 1000 after the start of the human era. Progress was still very, very slow at this point. Over the next thousand years, more and more permanent settlements appeared around the world, and more and more plants and animals were domesticated as agriculture spread. Evidence for trade over thousands of kilometers has been found from this period. Around 5 million humans were alive at this point in history, fewer than live in London today. Technology advanced constantly at a slow pace. Pottery became widespread. The first cultural communities appeared in China, India and the Fertile Crescent. Around the year 4,000, 8,000 years ago from today, humans started to use metal for the first time, learning to mix tin and copper and kick-starting what we know as the Bronze Age around the year 5,000. The first proto-writing emerged and the wheel was invented. In South America, the Chinchorro culture started to artificially mummify humans 2,000 years earlier than in ancient Egypt. The first high cultures began emerging around the year 7,000. The Indus Valley Civilization, Ancient Egypt, the Minoans in Greece, and the Sumerians in Mesopotamia. Stonehenge was built in Britain, and the first dynasty in China began. Ötzi the Iceman lived around this time. What we consider history now started, and things began picking up pace as the world population rose to over 30 million. A number of new high cultures appeared around the world, many writing down their legends. More and more cities were founded. In South America, the Olmec culture emerged. Around this time, the legendary Siege of Troy is supposed to have happened. Soon after, in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Fertile Crescent, the Bronze Age ended in violence. Every Bronze Age culture, except Egypt, was destroyed by mysterious invaders. Writing and progress froze for hundreds of years. Around the year 9500, what we consider Western culture began. The Greek city-states beat off the Persian invasion and triggered their golden era, ended by Alexander the Great around 9700. 100 years later, Rome destroyed Carthage and became a dominant force in the world. Caesar was murdered in the year 9956, while the world population had risen to about 300 million people. And it's only now, around the year 10,000, that we've reached the point where the Gregorian calendar and our current method of marking human history begins. A mere 2,000 years from now, humans will walk on the moon. If we think about history as we do now, we are underplaying 10,000 years of human progress and development. Including all of it in our calendar makes our past more impressive. It shows how progress became exponential with time and it incorporates all humans from all cultures into our calendar. A new year zero for our history could reframe how we think of ourselves.
as a building project that started 12,000 years ago when for the first time our ancestors came together to carve a temple out of bedrock with tools made of stone, not knowing what they would set in motion, where it would lead us as a species. From building the first temple to ships flying beyond the sky. And that pretty much wraps up the video. Um, Cool. I mean, a, a fascinating, or the audio, I guess I should say. Uh, I did put a link in the show notes for episode 207 if you want to watch the entire video. And there's a little bit more because, again, they actually made one of these calendars that you can buy. Um, but I didn't include that here. So I guess, Stephanie, you know, right, right out of the gate. Uh, well, all right. First, I should give a little bit of background. Okay. What is this temple that they're talking about that was built? Um, the temple is actually is in Turkey which is what they were describing. And that's Gobek, Gobek, <laughs> Gobekli Tepe. Yes. Gobekli Tepe, uh, which is an anomaly in archaeology because there wasn't supposed to be history that old, or, you know, there wasn't supposed to be human history. That's like in any way, there wasn't, there wasn't supposed to be anything like that at the time. Uh, so it, it's kind of a mystery as what the fuck is Gobekli, Gobekli, <laughs> Why am I having such a hard time with that word? Gobekli Tepe. Gobekli Tepe. Why? Why? Yeah. You know, what? what is you this You haven't thing? been watching enough Ancient Aliens, I guess. Oh, I mean, shit. that's Only obviously the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's an interesting start date to run with. But if people were wondering what temple, and you can go and read about it, and it is a fascinating history around that, because, again, it go it stands against all of, you know, all of the archaeological books that you could find um, and, and, you know, even anthropological books that say, oh, no, 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 everything started, you know, five to seven thousand years ago, you know, via, be it in, in Sumer or the, with the Minoans or something like that. Everything started in Iraq with the Rook, uh, you know, that that's that's sort of the popular narrative that goes around. But but Gobekli Tepe just wipes all that, you know, like no, you're wrong. You know, this goes back 12,000 years at least. Mm -hmm. uh, so some people say it's more like 14,000 years. Yeah. More like 14,000. I mean, and you know, as far as like with history, you know, there's other anomalies out there too. You know, there's the idea that there's actually gold mines that go back over a hundred thousand years. Right, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, there's a lot of this stuff. So, but you know, starting off with something that, that stands that we know of, that we can, you know, really see, okay, no humans fucking crafted this, uh, Gobekli Tepe is a great, a great choice to, you know, really, in my opinion, to, to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I guess it survived know, cause it got buried, right? Yeah. Like, wasn't buried under yeah. sand or something. And it was intentionally buried. That's mm -hmm. another thing people don't like yeah, to talk about. Yeah. Right. Like how did it get buried? Right. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was being preserved on purpose for what purpose? Who the fuck knows? Uh, but that that's a whole other conversation. So, but I mean, what do you think about this idea, this idea, the Holocene calendar or the, the human era, you know, the H E that's, and that's what they would do is that instead of it being B C E or C E or B C or A D, it would just be H E and that's it. And you'd be counting up, you know, from 12,000 years ago, you, you just start counting it because before that, everything else is prehistory. So you, you don't really necessarily need a date on it. I'm sure they'd have to come up with something. Uh, you, 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 you know, you'd have to say, yeah, I don't know how, how exactly you'd, you'd register that. Maybe you would just say the amount of years. I think that's what they do. Before eh, Holocene era? -E. Yeah. Or PH, prehistory? I mean, when you get into those time frames, usually there isn't, like, they don't give you an actual... Or, well, they don't give no, you they, an actual year. They give you like millions of years. Yeah, before they'll just or whatever. say like. And at that point, does another ago. extra ten thousand years really matter that much? Eh, not really. Well, in the grand scheme, of course. No. <laughs> um, so, but you know, for humanity, 
I mean, what, you know, what do, what do you think about the premise that this this uh, uh, connects us? I love it. Anything that gets outside. I mean, because the current paradigm is based on Christianity. Yes. It's demarcating. James Usher's da- work. It, when, absolutely. When Jesus was born as the beginning of fucking time. Which it's even the wrong date, but yes. Right. And, you know, that's just such a Christian centric worldview. It, it's it's totally true. There is like at least another 10,000 years of human history before that, that's just as significant as Christianity. Why should we start when Jesus was born? You know, like, right. I mean, and and they say, they say BCE as before common era, but it's really before Christ. Well, that, it used to be BC, which is before Christ. Right. So uh, that's, that's my activism. You know, yeah, like, no, sure. Let's, can we get away from this totally Christian centric worldview well, I and mean, have that, more of a human centric one? Yeah, certainly BCE and CE were an attempt at that, but then it's still using that break and it's, you know, right. just so they exactly. didn't have to rewrite a bunch of books. You can call it common era, but everybody knows it's Jesus. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, this is the thing, like. That's the concern. That's why they did the BCE and the CE is so that, again, they wouldn't have to rewrite the books so much and mm-hmm. all this, and they wouldn't have to change all these different diagrams or anything. Look, fucking burn them all. Well, don't burn books, but y- you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if you're going to screw re- it, if you're going to rewrite it from um, BC to BCE, you might as well put a one in front of the year and add another 10,000 years. I mean, that's just really convenient. Yeah. It's no, perfect. I, right. I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, and it actually, it, it sounds cool for one. Like, I think to say it's it's the year, you know, what, what would that chalk up? It's the year 12,017. Yeah. 12, like, I, I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, kind of reminds me of Dune. It's the year 10,191. And, you know, the universe is run by the Padishah Emperor. <laughs> and, and yet they're still telling time in terms of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, but, you know... It, so much, not that you need to rewrite history, but we've learned so much. And like, I mean, this isn't the days, you know, this is the 19th century. This isn't the days of E.A. Wallace Budge, who obviously didn't write all those 70 books in his fucking lifetime. I mean, because these things are massive tomes. And a lot of the stuff that he wrote about is proven wrong now. Uh, well, all right, maybe he wrote them. I, I've argued back and forth on that, but that that's besides the point. Um, you know what it reminds me of? Like, so the the Chinese calendar goes back, what, five or six thousand years. The Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar goes back six thousand something years. Yeah, we're in the year five thousand seven hundred seventy seven right now. Yeah. In the Jewish calendar. Right. Yeah. So and then the Western culture calendar starts at 2000, you know, 2000 years ago, <laughs> 2017 years ago. So it reminds me of like, you know, you know, when there's like. Like the Gap or like Levi's established 1969, where they yeah. have it on the buttons of the jeans, where they, they've been around since 1969 and so yeah. they know fashion. Well, it's like then some other new jeans brand opens up in 2012 or something and they're like, established 2016. And it's like, oh, OK, you haven't been around that long. That's what the Western calendar feels like to me. It's like yeah. established 2000 years ago, whereas yeah. the Chinese calendar and the Hebrew calendar is like, oh, we've got like double that much time under our belt. Well, you know, and, I, and it makes me wonder, because like, is this part of the recipe, say, that has, you know, given Judaism its longevity? Because the ideas have been able to get passed down because the timeline, like the, the, the cultural timeline for, you know, for Judaism, uh, you know, hasn't isn't broken up in half somewhere. Um, like, I almost I almost wonder. If this wasn't some kind of trick 
by say the Catholic church or something mm-hmm. or, you know, however this ended up getting sliced up. Right. Just, really... oh, just ignore everything before this point. Cause it's not really that important anyway. Yeah. Well, right. Well, it's confusing as shit because yeah. you have to count backwards. Right. And, 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 I know. And, like, I never people... understood that when some, they said, Oh, this person lived from the year 99 to the year 20 BC. And I'm like, what? Wait, that doesn't make sense. Is he aging in reverse? Oh no, it's BC. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is what in, in a lot of science fiction that you read, like if you read, uh, uh, like, Legend of Galactic Heroes or uh, even um, even like the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov and all this stuff. Like what they do, is, you know, these huge empires and emphasis on the word empire as in not a good thing. Uh, they they restart the calendar. They create a year zero yeah. for when this empire comes into power because it, it it's absolutely a tyrannical mental trick to make you forget about everything before this time. And, and I could totally see Christianity, you know, saying you are going to forget well, yeah, about would, everything before Christ. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, they've been successful so far because yeah, I mean, it, it use the Christian calendar. People. Right. I mean, like, why don't we just call it the Christian calendar? Because that's what it is. Sure. At it's the end based of the on Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the monthly calendars, you can say, are something else, but, you know, the years. But that's like, the, isn't that even like a Roman thing? The Gregorian calendar? Yeah. The Julian and Gregorian right. calendars. Yeah. Which they borrowed from. Well, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this is really cool. I think this is something I would love to push. I would love to, you know, when I'm on Sovereign Tech, I would love to be the guy saying it's the year, you know, 12,017. Yeah. Why don't we just start doing it? Yeah. Maybe I will. catches on. <laughs> maybe that's what I'll, yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's what I'll do. Uh, because, and, and there's so many other things that, that are really, really interesting about this. And also, you know, I want to just take a second. I want to give kudos to the video for saying 12,000 or, you know, for, for saying humans that as far, it says, as far as we know, we're the, are the first to awaken, you know, yeah. meaning to reach sapiens. But I like that they said, as far as we know, I was yeah. like, there you go. Like, that's the right. That's the whole attitude of this calendar. Yeah. Is that, you know, we're, we're going to concentrate this on this segment. Like we're questioning all of these cultural norms, which I mean, even just saying, as far as we know, humans are the first to awaken on this planet. That's questioning a lot. And that's good. They're, it's a great question to ask. You, you know, um, I mean, I would argue just on a personal level with scant evidence, I would argue that human history may go back a lot longer. Um, I bring this up all the time, but it's because it's the easiest easiest case to bring up is you have you have fragments of a book by a guy named Barosis, okay, who's you know from the ancient world, uh, you know from you know Greece, Rome, all that good stuff, and the 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 fragments go back reference a three volume book effectively that goes back a hundred thousand years in human history. What what, what, what happened was on, in that book? Right, exactly. Yeah, we uh, won't know because the Christians burned it, and then they somehow got the calendar too. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean that. Then you know that boy. You could get a conspiracy that theories sums with it that. Up, right? It's like, wait a minute. It's like we got to create a new calendar. We better burn the place with all the calendars. Yeah. So what they, did they not so want? They lit up Pergamum and Alexandria. Yeah. Uh, right. So. <laughs> I mean, and, and granted, it was zealots kind of across the board. You know, I, I, I think there's more than one religion involved in mm. that. Uh, but bottom line, you know, I, I love this. I think that this is this is the right kind of. Our culture Perspective? is. Yeah, well, our culture is so fucked up and we really are so detached from our history. Uh, and you can't. And, and just the simple fact, again, of just count, having to count backwards and all that. It can be really, really, I, I think it can be genuinely confusing for people when yep. it just doesn't have to be. And they don't want to take the time. And I understand they don't want to take the time, you know, to understand the kind of the, the calendar in that way. 
Uh, so to connect us as a human whole and really also... Like, I think if I had learned that in school, the Holocene calendar, yeah, I would have understood so much better like the timeline of human history. Yeah, because you'd be able to instantly say, oh, well, that was, you know, then the, the pyramids were made, you know, 5,000 or 4,500 years ago or yep. whatever. Like you'd be able to just, just say that instantly. Um, and I think also there is, and this is where people might get a little offended, um, but there is sort of a cultural advantage here, I think, in that we really are running off as being kind of cultural Christians. And I think we do that to our detriment and oh, yeah. in a million ways. And so to really be, and this, like I said, this is where people are going to get mad to get inclusive of other cultures, <gasps> multiculturalism. Oh man. Everybody just <laughs> shat their pants. Um, you know, to, to be inclusive in that way. Mine are and still to, dry. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, mine too. But to recognize these achievements by humanity overall, I think would be a huge leap in understanding and in just in, in going forward, you know, in, in being in tolerance and perhaps even, you know, thinking towards freedom and all of this. Uh, yeah, this is, I think this is bigger than people realize, you know, they think it's, well, it's just the fucking calendar. No, it's, it's really not because if it's just a fucking calendar, you know, then tell me what year you know, that, that proto writing started in Sumer. Do you know, no. like the average person? Probably not. Well, it's about 3000 BCE. If you're going to count it this way, uh, you, you know what I mean? And it's where I think, like you were saying in school, you could have more easily, uh, uh, you know, maybe like understood history, counted history back and, uh, you know, and grasped where it took place in your life. Um, if they were running with a calendar, much like the, the human era or, you know, the Holocene calendar or, or whatever. So, I, I mean, what, do you have any other thoughts on it? No, I think we covered it. I mean, let's let's just start putting a one in front of the date. Hell, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why not? I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, I starting maybe starting next episode, maybe when I do the new intros. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that it mentions the year in H E, uh, you know, and, and I just, again, I just, I think it's, it's really cool. And it's a big part of that. You know, recently you and I have been on, on, a a, a show that, uh, that, that, well, anyways, on school sucks podcast, uh -huh. which Brett Vinod, he's been a guest on sovereign tech in the past, yeah. uh, good friend. And you know, we, we were kind of talking about some of this cultural stuff and everything. And you know, my, me personally, and kind of one of my main goals when I was appearing on that, what, you know, with you recently on, on that show was, you know, to just kind of say, look, you know, left, right, you know, this whole left, right political paradigm and all that, like they're, they're all shit. It's all crap. And we really need to be building something new, something kind of organic and, and, and something that's, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, not so favoring of certain geographic areas that have no, there's no need for them to be favored in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I think this is one of those steps towards doing that in, in just my own personal opinion. What do you think, Stephanie? Hmm. Um, you don't have to agree. We're individuals here. I don't know, but yeah, it's cool. I, I, it just sounds cool. I want to do it. I'm All sold. Right. I'm so, I'm All right, sold already. It. There we go. <laughs> So anyway, um, let's see, we've got one thirty-six. Uh, I don't know. All right. Yeah. Let's, um, all right. Let, I, I was debating on what story I want to get into. Uh, I'm, we're going to talk about, let's get into a little bit of, uh, 
Internet of shit or oh, Internet fun. of targets. Yeah, let's do it. That sounds <laughs> and then uh, we got a climax that I think will it'd be very enjoyable. But what boy? What is that face? It's my climax <laughs> face. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's get into the story. And it's from USA Today, and actually a, a very special person uh, sent this story to me, and I, I just want her to know that I really appreciate her uh, and just tremendous. So um, it's Mattel's Aristotle. Boy, speaking of history, Aristotle is like an Amazon Echo for kids. Uh, and this oh, is from, shit. Yeah, this is from uh, January 3rd, 2017. So why don't, I, uh, why don't I just start reading here? Las Vegas, your infant star. This is because the reason it said Las Vegas is this is coming out of CES. Um, your infant starts crying and instantly the room's baby monitor snaps into action. The lights come on. A soothing lullaby begins playing. Mom and dad get notifications on their smartphones. That's just one of the scenarios Mattel sketched out for Aristotle by Nabby, a $299 voice controlled smart baby monitor that the toy maker is announcing at the consumer electronics show. Uh, <laughs> you hear that sound? That's a face palm. That's a face palm. <laughs> <laughs> with a major assist from Microsoft and Qualcomm, Mattel is using artificial intelligence, natural language interactions, and Internet of Things technologies to create a cloud-connected platform for Junior's Nursery. Aristotle goes on sale in June. Now, real quick, Mattel as in the toy company, Mattel, so in in case you you, you missed that, Uh, and they are calling this Aristotle. From Amazon's Alexa to the obedient helper inside Google Home, chatty AI-powered digital assistants have been steadily gaining a more prominent voice in kitchens, dens, and living rooms across the country. All right, hold on. How many people have a fucking den anymore? I don't think I have one. Yeah, right. (laughs) We just recently talked about, like, converting a room to one, I guess, but who the hell has that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but given ongoing privacy concerns surrounding the hackability of IoT devices, it remains to be seen whether uh, kid first digital assistance will be assistance will be embraced by parents who understandably may view them as creepy intruders. That's precisely why Mattel senior vice president and chief products officer Rob Fujoika uh, is stressing the security and. Uh, and privacy protections built into Aristotle, which he compares to an Amazon Echo, uh, Philips Hue light bulb, and Dropcam security camera, all in one. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Why in the fuck would you want an Amazon Echo, a Philips Hue light bulb, and a Dropcam security camera built into one goddamn device? That's asking for so much trouble. Well, why not, Brian? What could go wrong? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's and it's for the children. It's for the children. It's for the children. You know. All right. <laughs> I actually, I invented a, a fallacy. I forget exactly what I called it, but I, I think I called it the child protection fallacy, the CPF instead of CPS. Uh, and, and this is, you know, making an argument from just like, you know, using, using like the idea of protecting your child to somehow to like, justify an idea. Yeah. To yeah. justify your own ideas, your own prejudices, your own. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, who thoughts. wants to seem like they're not interested in protecting children i mean every, right. everybody wants to be pr- protective of children right but understand that like governments exist completely on the child protection fallacy like that we need to protect you from yeah. out there right there's been a lot of bad shit that's been justified in the name of saving the children oh yeah oh i mean t- t- terrible shit i'm sure hitler used it uh which oh, oh shit yeah. i just lost hitler the argument used. i mentioned hitler <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway uh, i'm going to read a little bit more here 
Um, the voice-controlled Aristotle Hub bundle consists of a Bluetooth and Wi-Fi direct speaker with multicolored LED lights and Wi-Fi camera with object recognition. The company is employing 256-bit encryption through the cloud and complying with COPPA, uh, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, which claims to protect uh, the privacy of children again. under it's 13. There we go again. protecting the children. I it's can full only... of child protection. Yeah, and I can... I, we might have talked about COPPA on, on Sovereign Tech. I can only imagine the the steamrolling of human liberties done in the name of that fucking act. Yeah. You know, and please understand, like I get it. Children, you know, parents need to be stewards. They need to protect their kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you know, Google doesn't need to be doing that. Mattel doesn't need to be fucking doing that. All right. You know, it, that's for parents and the government sure as hell doesn't need to be doing it. That's for parents to do. Um, the reading a little more here, though, Aristotle is designed as an all in one solution. The product is compatible, compatible with products built around the Samsung smart things, Philips Hue, Wink, Zigbee and Amazon ecosystems. Aristotle is meant to work with both parents and kids. So the system might detect when a child is low on diapers and let mom or dad order a fresh supply by voice fulfilled by such retailers as babies are us target and Amazon. Now, Stephanie, what problems are you seeing with, with that right there with, with a lot of that? Uh, so wait, the kid can kind of order stuff. Uh, more the parent can, but though maybe the the kid can. But I'm going to save that for next week's story. Oh yeah, because I heard about that happening. <laughs> yeah, so there's a case you'll talk about it next time. But yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so so this connects with other IoT devices. It works with smart things. Works with other other infrastructures, it. IoT infrastructures. Uh huh. And and it buys it, things for you. And it buys things through entire other companies, Babies R Us, Target, and Amazon, which are not all part of Mattel. They are completely separate companies. So I mean, you know, yeah. what, what potential problem are you seeing here? Um, like data's about you and your baby is going to all of those companies uh, yeah and and all of those companies get to use the fucking aristotle as yeah, as, as, a, a as an advertisement for you or as an advertisement. and you pay for the privilege right right or it's a you know gigantic security exploit gateway i mean yeah uh, yeah exactly like actually it's spreading out is massively problematic uh you know in this case mm -hmm. um well i think it's that kind of true for for just about anything even though like like we talked about earlier opening up sdks is a good thing um, but usually those SDKs are getting opened up to, you know, to go to some home as to where this, there are so many degrees of separation. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, this is, this is really terrifying. Yeah. There's, it's definitely like your first step toward, um, making sure that your kid never has any privacy as a person ever in their life because well, they're like, they've been completely like recorded all over, like the data of all those companies from the time they're a literal newborn. Yeah. But Stephanie, come on. If you treat kids like people, they're going to grow up to act like good people. Like, I mean, and we don't want that. You, you know, they need to they need to grow up to be good consumers and, and followers and obeyers. Right. Uh, right. And if you give them a thing called the Aristotle, I mean, it must make them smart. Right. Oh God. It's like baby Einstein. <laughs> that name's fucking insidious. Like, I mean, t tell, what do you think about the name? So you told me the name of it, and I said, now, with sacred geometry. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's Pythagoras, but yeah. close. But Pythagoras yeah. and Aristotle and Socrates and were all kind of Plato in this. Yeah, they, Plato, they were all kind of in the same. Now, if they named it Plato, that would have been fucking creepy. I'd be like, uh, yeah, you're, this is like just admitting you're handing your kids over to something. Yeah, that would have been creepy. Um, maybe it'll come with Plato, Play-Doh. Play <laughs> <laughs> like it'll come with a can of Play-Doh that says Play-Doh on it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the name alone is, the, the name is very strange. Yeah, it's weird. Why would you call it Aristotle? I guess it's because people hear Aristotle and they're like, oh, Aristotle was a Greek philosopher. I don't know what he said, but it sounds really smart. Oh, yeah, I want my baby to be smart. I'll buy that. 
Well, it's funny. I mean, like, and I want to protect my children, and it complies with the COPA, and it's about protecting the children. So I want my children to be smart and protected. So I better buy this. <laughs> yeah, I, like I'm, I'm really baffled at this name, especially like what's kind of strange to me is that adult products are getting the infantile names from like alphabet, you know, good old Alpha Goog and, and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kid products are getting the big long names, like I, like I <laughs> right, right. I I don't I I don't understand what's behind that. But like Aristotle, that doesn't even run, roll off the tongue. Like yeah, it's a strange word. Who the fuck was thinking that this was? I mean, call maybe it it's anything it's else. Got tots in it, like it's Aristotle. Aristotle. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I don't know. I don't think I. I can't believe they're that clever there. Yeah. I mean, and and this. No, is the you're thing. right. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, but it does have that smart sound to it. That's the only thing I can figure from a marketing perspective. Yeah, which is weird because they probably I, did a focus group or something. <sighs> I mean, they're kind of like ripping off. Like, not that I believe in IP or anything, but they're kind of ripping off like his name and using it for their own marketing right yeah. like if aristotle only knew like hundreds of years later he would thousands of years later he would be used as a marketing ploy for this like weird ai thing <laughs> yeah i mean and, and also you know if one it were to it's your privacy well that's the thing is that if if, if one were to apply aristotelian logic Mm-hmm. they would throw this thing in the nearest dumpster. You know, they throw them all in the dumpster if they, you know, if they use any fucking sense. Uh, so it's, it's an odd name. I'm, I'm kind of baffled by that one. I'm just going to read a, a little bit left here and then, and, and then we'll, we'll break into it a little more. Uh, Mattel is leveraging Microsoft's cognitive services, Cortana voice and Bing search inside Aristotle. Well, kids are not going to get good search results. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> You're going to teach your kids to search now, with Bing? Which, which admitted, although, Talk about starting them off on the wrong foot in yeah. life. <laughs> Though admittedly, Bing has is certainly not the old Bing. They, I mean, they've definitely improved it greatly. Uh, but, um, you know, there's no privacy to, to be had there. Mm. Um, and Qualcomm is contributing its chip and deep learning voice recognition audio and display camera technologies. Kids or parents will be able to summon Aristotle by calling its name out loud, similar to the way Echo owners use Alexa wake word or use the oh. Alexa wake word. Oh, so you mean it's always listening? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but Aristotle will also apparently incorporate Alexa, albeit with parental controls that may limit some of the Alexa functionality that is found in Echo or other devices, which I find. Hey, Alexa, order me a porn. Woo. Alexa, what's the best dildo? Yeah, right. <laughs> Alexa, start reading my audiobook taken by the T-Rex. <laughs> 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 Just finishing up along those lines uh, Fujoika insists Mattel is not looking to compete against the most prominent digital assistants, which is obvious uh, stallion breaking in because they're integrating all of them, Cortana and Alexa in the same potential device. Very strange uh, reading uh, quote. We think that Google home and Alexa are fantastic devices. We don't feel like we want to uh, be playing in that catch up of the skill set game. Fujoika says instead Mattel's core focuses on education and nurturing kids as they mature. So I guess that's the name behind Aristotle is that it's designed to be somewhat of an educational device, even though let's be clear, this is a spy device straight up. Yeah. Uh, it's very educational for the companies that control it <laughs> about <yeah>. you. <laughs> they'll yeah. learn a lot about your personal habits and, and as they'll be able to have research subjects that they study from birth. Yeah. It, and also, do you think people are going to like basically abdicate their parenting responsibilities to this thing? Like if you can, if your baby can summon Aristotle, Mm-hmm. And it's always on. Aren't the parents just going to be like, oh, yeah, I don't really have to pay attention to my kid. If they really have a problem, they'll they'll ask Aristotle first. And then if it, if Aristotle can't take care of it, then they'll get me. 
I'm glad you said that because I am reminded of a old Ray Bradbury story called the Velt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now Velt is, is just like a plains in Africa where there's lots of animals and all this stuff. And it's a story. And they actually, they did like Ray Bradbury theater or something back in the seventies or eighties. I remember watching, uh, what seeing this episode in particular and the short story is just as phenomenal. Of course it's Ray Bradbury. It's fucking great. And in this, there is a room that the kids can play in. So the parents can go off and do their thing. You know, it's television on steroids. And obviously Bradbury was, was making an allegory of the television. Uh, though I think Aristotle would fit right into this. And In this room, like the kids kind of experience, you know, like being in the plains of Africa and they see, honestly, like they see some really, you know, violent shit. I mean, that's real life, you know, and it's not humans killing other humans, but it's lions like eating this animal, like eating, hunting a zebra and eating it and everything. And eventually the parents are like, Hey, do you guys want to, you know, come outside to the real world and, and let's go do something? Would you like to spend time with us, the parents? And, you know, the kids start hating it. And like, and eventually the parents like cut off the power in the house. You know, wow. so that way they can't turn on the Velt. And uh, what eventually happens, and it's kind of left open-ended, is, you know, the kids figure out how to turn everything back on. And the Velt itself actually kind of supports the kids. Oh, my God. And the Velt traps the parents inside of itself. And then, like, the story ends with the kids sitting inside that room, and they're seeing the lion eat something that's not a zebra and so arguably like like even though it's supposedly virtual supposedly it kind of overstepped its bounds oh my god and it's eating the parents holy fucking shit yeah so here's here's the thing aristotle's gonna be eating the parents pretty soon well this is this is the real concern i mean and when alexa you know when the amazon echo first came out we i did a full review of of the audio and i did you know live overview of it and they were so clearly marketing it towards children Mm -hmm. like this is for children Mm. and i know people might want to say this is extreme but i'll fucking say it i think you're handing over your kids to these fucking companies if you weren't already like you are just you're doing it you know to a to an nth degree uh you know with a lot of these technologies okay it is not for amazon you know or for google or for even microsoft or whoever to teach your fucking kids that's for you to do. Uh, you get be hands on with this shit and hands on doesn't mean you can talk to fucking Aristotle mm-hmm. and, and tell it what you want it to do and how you want it to take care of your kids and all this shit. Sadly, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who will fall into the trap and think, oh, good. This will make my parenting so much easier. Sure. This is a time saving device like a dishwasher. So I don't sure. have to deal with all these annoying questions my kid asks. Oh yeah. I, I mean, and, and that's, you know, and this is one where, you know, I think there's there, techno panic is like, is legit. Okay. There's, there's times where I think people get a little kind of like with the whole idea, like we were talking about earlier with these, you know, cyber sex, uh, you mm-hmm. know, cyber dildonics where, oh, people aren't going to have babies anymore and all stuff. No, people are going to have babies. But where I think techno panic is not outlandish is that, yeah, kids aren't going to be talking to their fucking, you know, to fucking adults anymore. They're going to be talking to, you know, to, to Alpha Goog. They're going to be talking to Alexa. They're going to be talking to, to Cortana. They're going to be talking to whatever. And if there's not like a, just don't buy into it. That's the whole reason I do the internet of target segment on, on sovereign tech is, is to try and kill this category before it becomes a thing. Uh, because th- th- this could be really, really problematic. Uh, to where, I mean, really, do you want, I mean, let's just put this straight. You know, do, do you want kids getting their, their information from Mark Zuckerberg? 
Do you want them getting it from Jeff Bezos? Do you want them getting it mm-hmm. from Larry Page? These guys are morons. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some brilliant stuff Wait, they've if done. If Steve Jobs was still around, he said he he said he wouldn't even give his own kids iPhones. Oh no, you right. right. So so here's the interesting thing too, right? Is that we know these tech giants. We know there's a story, Washington Post, New York Times, they all covered it. That yeah, Steve Jobs wouldn't give their kids or wouldn't give his kids like like tablets or phones until they were you know well into their teenage mm-hmm. years. They wouldn't. It just wouldn't be a part of the program. Why the fuck are these companies selling this stuff off to your kids, but they won't give it to their own? I mean, that is a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't have I don't know the exact answer to that, but I think it raises some awful suspicions Mm -hmm. uh, that that people should consider. Uh, It's just like when the Congress critters pass laws that don't affect themselves, like, you know, how Congress the American Congress like exempted themselves from the Obamacare affordable care. Oh, Act. they golden fleece everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, and I have one more point to make on this, but I mean, what else, what are your other thoughts? Uh, you know, uh, you can go on with your, with your final point. Well, here's, here's kind of the last point is that, you know, even if all of my fears, you know, fears that I just, or both of our fears, I guess, uh, were assuaged, you still have the problem that who's making this Mattel. Okay. Are they working with some companies on the back end that are interesting? Yes. Microsoft, pretty good. Seriously, folks, they're pretty good at security. Okay. Does Windows work for you most of the time? Considering the amount of hackers and other shit in the world, they're doing a pretty goddamn good job. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah Windows is good. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, Amazon does all right. I, I mean, you know, a lot of these back end companies that they're working with that, that are actual tech companies do a good job because that's how they became tech giants is because they took security seriously. Mm-hmm. Mattel is not a tech giant. Mattel has never considered. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> you know, I mean, and in fact, just they, they bought the company Nabby. They bought, they acquired the company that's even making this. And Nabby's no fucking tech giant because if they're a tech giant, you know, Mattel couldn't have bought them out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, interconnecting with Target, Babies R Us, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, all these different services, you know, all over the place. Mattel's not they they don't know the first fucking thing about security, about cybersecurity. Yeah, you, know? you better cross your fingers there. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you are opening everything up with this one little stupid fucking device that in my opinion shouldn't even be in the home. And- now, how long until these start becoming requirements for schools? Well, you have to have one of these in your home if you're a student at the school or how maybe they start giving them out for free at school. Maybe Amazon partners with the schools or Mattel partners with the schools. And then suddenly they have all your school records and all I, your legal information, too, on top of everything else. I love and in parallel terrified of your your line of thinking there, because the whole one laptop per child or where schools were giving out laptops and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is how, you know, your teacher may interact at home, uh, you know, with your kid and doing their homework and everything. Okay. We're going to give you, you know, a little Amazon echo dot and, uh, you know, and you work with this and then the fucking thing's always listening. I mean, what happened? We know, we know what happened when superintendents were given the keys yeah. to the kingdom. Creepy superintendents turned on the webcams and their students cam in uh, laptops. Right. In the laptops that the school gave to them. Mm-hmm. 
fuck no. <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck no. And you're required to have a Google account in some schools because, you know, you have a Chromebook that's issued by the school. And oh, yeah. So you have to sign into it with a Google account. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, that, and that's a whole other thing, too, is, you know, like build, making accounts and, and really hooking kids into ecosystems, uh, you know, with a lot of this stuff. And and that's, a you know, well, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but I just want I'm just going to say it very quickly. If you think that Google accounts, Facebook accounts, other tech giant accounts and all that are not mandatory that you can choose not to have one you're full of fucking shit if you do if you go to any government institution from school to city hall okay if you are a part of that institution in some shape or fashion you are forced to have one of these accounts you do not it is not an option and it's backed at the end of the day by the gun you know depending on what state you're living in because sometimes you're forced to send your kid to public school Mm -hmm. right uh so yeah anyway that's a sidetrack but bottom line yeah i i like th- this borders on terrifying. Yeah, I'm terrified. <laughs> you know, and, and I and I think there's and not just from the story the Vrelt, you know, and I know that that's science fiction, but we I like to bring up science fiction on Sovereign Tech because it is the most important literary form in my opinion because it explores the potential future, which is what I mean, that's how we get where we are is by guessing, okay, well, what's this going to be like? You know, I mean, that's how we think about things. You know, it's a risk assessment, threat assessment, right? Uh so yeah, not not comfortable with this at all. <laughs> really yeah, no, not. Me neither. Uh, yeah. So any any other? I don't even know how. Like if like kids that are being born nowadays, mm-hmm. I don't even know how you you kind of keep them safe from bad technology. You know, how do you keep them away from technologies that'll that could hurt them? Well, it's a great question. I mean, and it doesn't always, you know, I think the answers are still being developed, you know, as we speak. Yeah, I mean, Uh, well, this shit is pretty new. Like, we didn't really have smartphones until about 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, step one is obviously like homeschooling or unschooling or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, I'm just, well, actually, when I asked that question, I had this friend who had a 10-year-old son, Mm -hmm. and I... Like he was saying that he wanted to have a phone and he didn't he had Skype, but he didn't have Facebook and he didn't have a phone, Mm -hmm. but he was saying he wanted to have a phone. Right. And his parents were divorced. So he was going back and forth between his mom and dad and he probably could have used a cell phone. And I said, hey, I have this old phone. Why don't I give it to him? And even if he doesn't get phone service, he could just use it as a tablet or whatever. He could use it for Skype so you could get in touch with him. Yeah. And his mom said, like, no, I don't want him to have a phone, basically. Well, hey, I mean. And I mean, okay, I respect her choice. It's her her son. But, um, you know, I'm thinking, like, wow, if that issue comes up, like, what if a kid is born today and, like, every technology is so ubiquitous? Could they even make it to the age of 10 without having a phone or without having a Facebook account or sure. whatever? Well, I mean, I, I've already covered stories on this show in the past, uh, in the recent past, where, you know, kids are suing their parents for posting, like, their baby pictures and mm. shit on Facebook and everything. And, you know, I'm not going to tell parents what to do. Uh, you know, I, the only thing I'm saying is they need to be stewards of their children. And I use very specific in using the word stewards. I, you don't need to be their boss or anything. Mm-hmm. Guardians. Uh, or, I like guardians. Yeah, guardians yeah. is good, too. I mean, just, you know, treat them like people. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's such a tough, it's a huge subject. Like, I mean, that, that, that 
we could do a whole other episode on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, to my mind. Well, let's not because we don't have to deal with this problem because no, right. we're not having kids. We're, yeah, we're never having children. <laughs> I'm um, just asking hypothetically. I know there's a lot of people who are parents who listen who have to deal with this. So sure, I, I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'm kind of glad I don't have to face it. Well, you know, something that. OK, so something I can speak to quickly. And this is, a, I mean, kind of in line, I think, is. And it, it's just it's strange where how the world that we're to now. You know, and what people consider normal and okay, because, you know, like with the picture thing in particular, um, I mean, you really like it's it just it's odd that parents are like, oh, no, yeah, Facebook can have that as to where, you know, 20 years ago, just 20 years ago, you know, before the ubiquity of cameras in any way, uh, the FBI, if say you wanted to go and work for not not just the FBI, but really like kind of any higher end, uh, you know, government enforcement agency of some Mm -hmm. kind, they would want to they would. They would literally, an agent would come to your house and they would, you know, to your parents' house and they'd say, could we see pictures, you know, of little Johnny? And I know lots of people who, you know, I mean, and you could say this is anecdotal, but I'm sure if you, if you really want me to, I'll, I'll go hunt down the stories where the parents would say, no, you know, we're, this, this isn't like, what, what are you doing? And they would have kind of a conversation with the, and I don't know that that's right either, but my, my point being, or, or even, you know, sometimes the person that's applying, well, say for the FBI, mm-hmm. wouldn't would say, what do you mean you have to go through all my stuff? What the hell is this? You know, why were they looking at the pictures just to see if the parents had any pictures and it was a good sign they didn't have any or it's a loyalty check. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of different issues, you know, involved there. I mean, like, like there's a, it, it, pictures are just the tip of the iceberg. They want to go through so much and people used to not want to go into the FBI, you know, or work for some of these jobs because they wanted to look so much into your history. I mean, now people just don't, now they don't have to, they could just go on the, your Facebook. And let's be clear. (laughs) As soon as you posted on Facebook, you gave it to the FBI. Mm-hmm. You know, you gave it to every alphabet soup organization on the fucking planet and people don't care. And I, look, I'm not going to, I don't want to judge them. I'm, uh, you know, because there's people who I see their baby pictures and I, I think it's so cute and yada, yada, yada. I get mm-hmm. it. But shit, you know, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, is anybody thinking twice? No, like that, that's kind of the concern. Twice. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm going to go for another segue here. Okay. Um, because we need to get into the climax and that is, is that, you know, when you do hand all of your kids information and put it up online and make it all, you know, exploitable, you know, in in every term or every use of that term, unfortunately, your kids will, will never get to grow up to be, you know, the really cool things like say the Toretto family in the the fast and the furious movies. (laughs) So, so in our family, yeah, me familia, Uh, but uh, so in the last few minutes of the show, Stephanie, I, I did, I wanted to just, you know, t- talk about this quick because I just, you and I, I just, I just ran you through a marathon of all technically, well, there's going to be 10 come April because there's a new, fa- there's Fate of the Furious, uh, that there's technically nine film, technically 10, I guess, but you know, the nine films available to watch. Um, and I know it doesn't feel like nine, but that's because there's like those two short films Oh, um, that you watch and, ones, then yeah, there, okay. and then there's the seven, mm-hmm. the, like there's the seven films, you know, the, uh, the fast and the furious, too fast, too furious, Tokyo drift. Um, then fast and furious is the fourth one, then fast five. And then, you know, uh, furious six and furious seven, whatever they end up calling those. Um, so I love these movies. That's why I wanted to wait. To I sh- thought Tokyo drift was six. Well, okay. Yeah. So chronologically, the events, some of the events that take place in seven 
mm-hmm. happened in Tokyo Drift. So right. Tokyo Drift is the third one. Came out in 2006. Oh. Uh, but the events that happen in it, like, are revisited. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it technically takes place after Furious 6. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, just a lot of people don't don't realize that. Um and that was that was interesting in and of itself is that we got to watch this is the first time I was able to watch it chronologically and you got to experience it chronologically as to where you know when I as I you know went through went through history went through time watching them um you know I saw them as they came out so I saw Tokyo Drift you know as the third movie and then you know, wait a minute, how is Han alive in, you know, Fast and Furious, like in the fourth one, like that, you know, that didn't exactly make sense until they made it clear that, you know, that the Tokyo Drift, it takes place later on in the timeline, uh, which is, which is very interesting. So, but I mean, what do you think of these movies? Most people think that a lot, or a lot of people think, I mean, obviously they're popular. That's why there's so many of them, but a lot of people think a lot of movie snobs, shall we say, which I'm a movie snob. I, I, you know, I readily take on that title. Um, but a lot of movie snobs think that they're just, they're, they're corny. They're, you know, they're, they're ridiculous. They're so over the top who could pay attention to these things, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what did you think? So, I first, I think I have to say what I thought I would think about the movies before yes, I saw them. Yes, that's a good thing to. So okay. before I saw these movies, I had heard about them, and I thought, why the fuck would I ever want to waste my time watching these movies? It seems like the most uninteresting thing I could possibly think of. No, you know, no human interaction, just a bunch of fucking fast cars racing around and testosterone and boy stuff, you know, (laughs) which did not interest me. Uh, Generally, I don't really tend to um, go for action movies as like the first thing I would pick to to watch. These are kind of a machismo fest, no doubt. So that's what I thought I would think about them. Yeah. However, when I actually gave the movies a chance, and I'm glad I did, I I said, okay, I'll give it a chance. Mm -hmm. I actually gave the movies, movies a chance. And from the first movie, I love them. <laughs> I I love them. It, it wasn't all just, you know, like fast cars and stuff. Now, I'm someone who's really not interested in cars. Yeah, yeah. But they they wove together the car stuff with a very interesting kind of soap opera-like plot. Yeah. And, you know, the car stuff wasn't bad in itself. I mean, like the, the stuff that they did was cool. It had me on the edge of my seat. Literally, my there were a few times during the movies where I, my mouth was open and I was like, ah! you know, like <laughs> did they just do that? Well, I mean, the action sequences are nuts. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. they were really good. And um, I started to love the characters. I just mm-hmm. there was something so cool and lovable about them i mean like just the 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 fact that they were so loyal to each other and they were like this chosen family yeah was so cool um and yeah i loved all of the movies i I couldn't wait to watch the next ones and i didn't (laughs) think i would like them at all and you and even the short films you you watched it all yeah so i think that i you know i really i think the magic is that the first one uh, Rob Cohen directed it, who I think he's a phenomenal director. He also directed uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and he dra- uh, directed the first Triple X movie, which we haven't gotten to those yet. But I guarantee you're going to if you love Fast and Furious, you're going to love these. Yeah. Now I have this appreciation for Vin Diesel. You're right. That I didn't have before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the first one did. So, it, the first one came out in 2001. And I think it did such a great job of accurately portraying how honestly millions and millions of Americans actually live mm. like not, not driving the cars so much, but like, 
Like a lot no, of the just scenes, the culture. Yeah, and the like, culture and like yeah, in that the was house. one of the things I loved about it was like yep. just the the cultural aspects of it, and they were so like it was such a real like diverse cast, and not I'm not talking like fake diversity like mm-hmm. oh we need to have the token asian guy or whatever you know like it was just a really like diverse multicultural kind of cast yeah and then they had the scenes that were in the dominican republic and in mexico and they were real like they were very realistic i thought yeah and that's yes and that that's a point too is that and especially tokyo drift as mm-hmm. someone myself who's been to japan many times like it's remarkable mm-hmm. it it almost gives me flashbacks just how accurately it portrays Tokyo, yeah, uh, you know, and Japanese cultural in, in general. Um, and I think that goes true across the board for every country they go to in those movies. They are so incredibly respectful of the culture there. Uh, they go out of their way to use subtitles, I mean, you know, to have the language get spoken because, you know, there's a certain poetry, a certain aspect mm. that you can only get when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the like Spanish with, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, with, with, with the first one. Um, Again, like I think people saw the scenes in the house and a lot of that movie takes place in the Toretto house. Mm -hmm. I think people saw like kind of the parties and everything. And it's not this isn't, you know, kid and play in the house party movies in the 90s. This isn't some high school bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You know, or some some like 80s. Oh, my God. Kid and play. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or some, you know, it's not. Yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. Whatever kind of movie it was. They they could look at the screen and they could say, holy shit, that's exactly what my Friday night looks like. Yeah. Or that's exactly what my Saturday night looks like. And I think that that appealed to a whole lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, Too Fast, Too Furious does Miami. I mean, you know, and it kind of goes from there. Tokyo Drift was one of the best movies in the series. Mm-hmm. And then come come Fast and Furious, the fourth one. Well, I guess I'll call it Fast Four. Come Fast Four suddenly they almost turn into comic book films before comic book films were a thing. And, and like, they just deliver this really so over the top that like you described for yourself, your jaw is dropping and you're like, you're catching your breath. You're like, <gasps> yeah, but somehow it's not like campy or anything. No, right, it's actually right. so realistic because they're grounded in those realistic first, you know, yep. few films. And, yep. and I think but, that, but yet they kept coming up with new shit and topping the, the stunts that they did in the last ones. Now, let me know if you agree with this statement. Is each one better than the last? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, other than maybe well, other too than fast, the first too couple, maybe yeah. yeah. It, at towards the end of the series, yeah, that each one is better than the last. Yeah, once you get Tokyo Drift, as in Tokyo Drift being number three, as soon as you go up from that, mm-hmm. like they just sequentially get better and fast. I mean, eight, until they're dropping the cars out of the helicopter or, or out, out of the, yeah, out out of the, the plane, of they're parachuting the cars yeah. out onto the side of the mountain. No. <laughs> oh my god, I would have never guessed that. That was nuts. It's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, these are these are so good, but yeah, I mean. Oh man, and I'm so glad you appreciated them because I mean, like I- I'm I'm almost nervous. I've in my life I've almost been nervous to say just how highly I hold these films. I mean, like <laughs> they are, they are you know, just a what's the phrase a hair's breadth? Or that's not right. I don't know. Well, a anyway, hair? A hair length maybe. I don't know. Whatever. They're so close <laughs> mm-hmm. to. I got to work on my metaphors. They're so close to to Star Wars. You have no idea. Like because I mean, oh, I liked it better than Star Wars. Well, I way know you better. Would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, they are so good. They they are so ridiculously good. And and it it is. And I think part of the saving grace of it, first off, is that like the first film is is in many ways very real. Like I mean, it's very down to earth in so many ways, which makes it troublesome. I think later on because like okay, Dominic Toretto. He goes from you know the streets of L.A. and suddenly he's able to take on like these black ops guys. It's like 
come on, you know, that that's a little over the top, right? And then it, when, when The Rock comes in too, boy, it gets well, hilarious. Well, the, the most unrealistic thing is when The Rock is working for the government. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he doesn't right. seem like he'd be the type. He ends up doing it in like every movie. I yeah, mean, they, they, I know. He stays with Totally him. the government, you know, the, the, the real U.S. government. This is their marketing department working with The Rock, I think. <laughs> uh, but, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but... Uh, well, I, I forgot exactly what I was going to say, but that doesn't matter. So, yeah, just just phenomenal films. And I, I think people miss that there is so much to this because there's the 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 films in between. There's Los Bandoleros. Mm -hmm. There's the the super or turbocharged. There's the one that takes place between one and two. Yeah, that's only like six minutes. Um, but uh, Los Bandoleros was actually directed by Vin Diesel. It's like 20 minutes and mm -hmm. it has all the actors in it, you know, and it, it, it explains the story going into uh, Fast Four. Uh, just just. Just awesome, awesome movies. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Okay, like I know there's a lot of machismo in it, but again, I think because it's grounded in that reality and then you know when it starts to get ridiculous that you, it's kind of like Duke Nukem where, <laughs> yeah, okay, this is like hyper violent or this is, you know, hyper sexual or something like that, but you know that that's its charm. That's like, it's so over the top, you know it's not real. Like there's nothing close to reality in it. And so- <laughs> You can appreciate it. I don't know it. that love story with Letty and Dom. That was so heartwarming. I loved it. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. That was nice. Um, so anyway, so all right. I mean, I guess give give somebody, if you can, if you can think of it, give somebody like a one or one or two sentence sales pitch of why they should watch these movies. Um, They're authentic with the story, but they're also amazing with the, the action sequences. Aha. Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. And you will get hooked on the characters and you will start to love them and they will become like your family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know. Again, I don't know how they pulled this off. How have they been able to get, I mean, because they're successful, of course. But I, I know TV shows that don't do as good a job in developing kind of the, the you know, the the, the mat of, of of all these characters and kind of bringing them all together even if even if the characters at times could be kind of shallow or they're like an archetype or something like it i, I don't know tv shows that do this good a job yeah of, of putting all that together yeah and it can it was it was continuous too like there were some of the movies where like the last scene in the previous movie was like the first scene in the next one yeah, and, and I mean, and they reference mm -hmm. like back to even the first movie, like over and over again to like the bad tuna fish sandwiches yeah. and everything. It's a like, universe. It, it's an actual universe. Mm -hmm. It's it's really it really is something. Um, in fact, there's some theories that the triple X movies also exist within this universe. Oh, cool. So, like, that's what happened is, is, you know, those years where you don't know what Dom's doing, he's off being triple X. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how well that holds up now, uh, but. Oh, I hope that's true. That's yeah. Awesome. I, I think it anyway, I just think they're the movies are so cool and and that's something that you really that's a hard thing to harness is that cool factor, that really cool factor. And when you get it, you get success like the Fast and the Furious series, in my opinion. Anyway, glad you enjoyed it, Stephanie. And Stephanie, thank you so much for being on Sovereign Woo! Tech. Always fun. Woo! Let them have it. And of course, if people want to find you, uh, go to smvoice.info. And sexandsciencehour.com. That's right. Uh, and oh, shit, you know what? I... I I got to mention a couple of sponsors real quick. So first off, uh, one of our, our longest sponsors running on this show is, of course, Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. If you yes. want to get your hands on gold and silver, oh, baby, 
are these the people you want to be dealing with? They are the real fucking deal. And they are Bitcoin. We're talking about Bitcoin, how Bitcoin is the price is doing good. Everything's in vogue and all that. Boy, if you spent Bitcoin, say when it was kissing 1200 and you spent it on some gold at Robertson Roberts brokerage, because Robertson Roberts brokerage is a Bitcoin preferred business. You'd be doing pretty well right now because Bitcoin did its little dip back. Not that that's a problem, but it did its little dip back. But you would have been holding on. This is the beauty of diversification, right? Mm -hmm. Is you get to diversify your wealth. And so, you know, you could have you could have kept some value there if you wanted. That's right. So it's a great thing to do. And if you want to do that with your Bitcoin while we're on this ride and we're on this high, you want to go with Robertson Roberts Brokerage. They've been in business for decades. They are the absolute real deal. Stephanie, I know you've dealt with them. Oh, Uh, multiple times. I mean, that's where I go now to buy precious metals. Yeah, because the service is genuinely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so what I want you to do, go to gold.zog.ninja. That's the website that'll take you right to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Gold.zog.ninja. Okay. Uh, or you can go to rrbi.co and just let them know that the Golden Stallion such you. Uh, and believe me, they're going to know who they're going to know. You can even mention Stephanie Murphy if you want as a bonus. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? You will get your order fast and furious. Yeah. Woo. How about that? <laughs> um, and then as for the other sponsor Tim's that I want to catapult into, off a plane with your with your gold at your doorstep, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a hell of a thing. Uh, and so the other the other sponsor I have to mention is uh, agoristhosting.com. That's A G O R I S T hosting.com. Uh, boy, if you were in, <laughs> if you were rocking some Fast and Furious, and if you needed a web host, I guarantee you a company that would care about your privacy and also about working with Bitcoin and all of this. I mean, you know, I wonder if in fast state they should mention Bitcoin. I think that would be hot. Oh, that'd be great. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. There's a little mm. prediction for you. Uh, but I'll tell you, if you want to, if you want to get web hosting with Bitcoin or work with Bitcoin or work in a real free market, like open bazaar, you want to be going with agoristhosting.com. These guys will hook you up customer service. Like you cannot believe. And let me tell you as a tech guy, it's hard to find customer service in the web hosting business without paying a huge premium. These guys don't charge a huge premium. And and they will not sell you out to Aristotle. No, right. Or Mattel and, or Amazon or anybody no, else. None of the Google. above. And, and in a million ways, these guys, if you want to run a business on Open Bazaar, they do Open Bazaar better than Open Bazaar does. And now that, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's me saying feature, that. Yeah. That's my interpretation of the services they offer. Uh, but I, I just I think that they are top notch. So if you want to get into web hosting, you know, if you need a great place for your site to sit that cares about, you know, your activism, uh, that cares about, you know, all the things you do in your life. I mean, frankly, because, you know, a lot of these other companies, uh, you know, they, they don't care. They, no, they don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they just don't care about you. I guarantee you agoristhosting.com. They care about you. These are, these are the little guys. They're ready to take on the big guys and they're doing it right. And I like, I like these kind of, you know, these scrappy companies that said, no, we're going to take care of you. We're going to do this right. So total thanks to agoristhosting.com for being a sponsor uh, on Sovereign Tech as well. Uh, Again, Stephanie, thank you so much uh, for being on. Thank you, Brian. I'll be around. (laughs) I'll be around. (laughs) Things are about to get. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to slip me the big one? (laughs) Oh, baby. (laughs) Let's Let's get finished with this podcast. We're going to hurry it up. Hit the music. Come on, wrap me up. Hit the music. The big one's coming, baby. All right. I'll see everybody on the other side. Woo! You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. 
and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. Evolution.